We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is the Gator Nation Football Podcast with your hosts, Alan Williams and James DiVirgilio. This place is an insane asylum in the swamp! Oh, my! Now we know we're just a bunch of average stiffs. Scared money don't make money, you know? Welcome back, Gator Nation. It's the podcast. I'm Alan. I'm here with James. We have our 2023 season preview all ready for you guys. I'm sure you're getting hyped. Some of you are getting really, really hyped. You've been ingesting all the Kool-Aid possible. Some of you are, you know, a little more skeptical. We're going to get into all of that. This is a really fun episode, one of my faves of the year. James, how you doing over there? I'm doing so well, Alan. We are here. We're almost at week zero, yeah. as they call it now, right? Week zero eve week, if you will. And there's just no better time on my calendar than the start of the fall, even though it's still the summer. But really, when football season starts, it's the start of the fall in my mind. And it is here. It's here. We're right there. It's upon us. I love it. This is a great time of year. You know, yeah, you can sense the fall here coming in Florida. No signs of it yet because it's blazing hot. But we know it's right around the corner. Indeed. And if you're a new listener, welcome to the program. Welcome to our podcast. Of course, we fancy ourselves as analysts. We love to dive into things that we think are analytical. At times, we'll be right. At times, we'll be wrong. But you'll know that we're always doing our best to provide what we think is an analytical angle on the program. And if you like the content, you can follow us on social media. You can sub to our YouTube channel for weekly film reviews. And you can become a patron on Patreon where you can drop us a dono to support our efforts to bring you this type of content throughout the season. As always, shout out to our producer, B-Red, and our video editor, Carly the Commissioner. You can also join our GNFP Sammy WhatsApp thread and our GNFP Discord chat if you're looking for chat throughout the week during the football season. And you can pick up your very own GNFP merch. The link is in the show notes. Click on that. Check out what we got. We got a bunch of stuff. Hats, shirts, hoodies, stickers beverage items yes and we i want to say this whatever is, you need this is getting priced almost as low as it can be priced a lot of this is because these are one-offs this is that price in there so yeah wanted to make it as available as possible to you guys so yeah it'd be fun to see some gfp merch on the stadium in the fall yeah for sure i can't wait to see it out in the wild also as well alan does say it's priced as low as possible it is not cheap the shirts are not 10 or 15 dollars yeah one because they're print on demand two 
I could not in good faith allow myself to have our beloved listeners not wearing shirts that are soft, comfortable, and well-fitted. And I can assure you these shirts are all of those things, soft, comfortable, and well-fitted. So if you like that kind of vibe, it's going to fit you. All right, we did have some dono action here in our last off-season week. A medium annual dono from a new donoer, JPZ. Welcome in, JPZ. Great to have you. And then an XL annual dono level up from Guy Tumbleson. A legend. Guy Tumbleson is a legend. He's a real person. Alan, he messaged us on Patreon to tell <laughs> us the story. Um, Guy passed away many years ago, but his friend honors him wow. by using his name. And his name is certainly lived on as uh, Guy Tumbleson is, in fact, a dono legend. And here he is leveling up. So thank you, Guy, for all your support. Uh, we will leave your real name behind the scenes. You can continue to honor just Guy. We'll keep that uh, to ourselves. But thank you very much for all of your support. And thanks to all of you who support us. We will begin next week doing what we do every single year around this time as we will read off every single person who's ever given us a dono in honor of them and their support. And again, we'll start that up next week. And Alan, we have some news. There has been a dethroning in the GNFP kingdom. Big time. James Ridge, who was on the throne for almost a year, in fact, very close to a year, Barry Jenkins and James famously had a little battle last season. He has been dethroned. Cooper and Kylie Craig are the new king and queen there you of go. the GNFP football podcast here. Um, that's redundant, but regardless, they are the kings and the queens. And welcome in, Cooper and Kylie Craig. You've already been Dono Legends. You've already been king and queen before. And you're back yeah, for more. There you go. The return. We appreciate that. If you're thinking to yourself, how do I become the king or the queen of the GNFP? Well, essentially, when you give a dono, if the amount's higher than the highest donor, you become the king or queen. No one knows what that amount is, except for Alan and I. And so when someone comes in and exceeds someone else, they achieve the throne. So long live the king and queen here. We hope that you are undefeated as king and queen of the GNFP and that Florida does nothing but win and prosper. Alan? Read out our Dono legends. Let's do it. James Ridge, Barry Jenkins, Guy Tumbleson, Jason Walker, The Big Homie, Lil Payton, Constantine, Double O, Alexander Leventhal, Diego Rivera, Bill Hood, James Newton, Nathan Jeter, Stash Me, Bobby Boucher, Frank Marcellisi, Mike Wechter, Tim Kane, Nicholas Isaac, Mike, Mark Jackson, Tim Hondrick, James Truitt, Gus O'Leary, Brad Wilson, Mark Mitchell, Chris Folsom, Dr. Matthew Galloway, Jamie Galliano, Aaron Jeter, Jason Landry, Michael Reeves, Jason Johnson, Zach Sparks, Mark Rubenstein, Tyler Rummery, Craig Scarado, Alan Horn, Sydney Singleton, and Kristen Moody. Okay, James, as we usually do this time of year, it's good to take a step back and look at the state of the program at the beginning of the season. How are you feeling about the state of the program? Where would you, how would you describe it? Put it in some James words here for me. Some James words. Uh, I think the answer is there are some significant upsides in what I consider to be the most important piece of the state of the program. If I am Billy Napier and I'm giving my state of the program address, I start off by talking about recruiting indeed, and where that has gone. We've touched on that, but that's number one. Recruiting is moving in a discernibly excellent and championship level direction. And that is huge because that is the most important part of the state of the program. Secondly, I would talk about culture. The culture of this team by all accounts has improved significantly and that is from top to bottom, from top level administrators, from other coaches on the staff, from interns, from other people. 
that are there on the field, from people roaming the hallways, interacting with the players and the culture. This is a different culture already. So we've got a new culture build. It's much more sustainable, family-oriented, all-for-one, team-oriented, in a way that I think really puts a high emphasis on responsibility of your own work product. And essentially that, in my opinion, leads to good results. So we've got excellent culture building. We've got significantly improved recruiting. And then we have the third piece, which is what we're about to enter into. Another season of the new Netflix drama, Florida Gators football in the 2020s, which has not been good. Spoiler alert, it's not been good. What will the products on the field look like, Alan? And right now, the national media thinks not great, right? Over under five and a half. If I'm Billy Napier, which you've already seen him do, he's quietly confident that they can exceed that and they can do better than that. So therefore, your third leg is what we're going to spend all of our time really today talking about. What's going to happen on the field? What does this look like? But Florida, I think, is sitting on what I'm going to call, Alan, momentum in two of the three really important categories. The third category, the biggest unknown, the one that did not, I think, really breed a lot of confidence entering into this season. The one that we had the most questions about is the one that we're going to get answers to as we move through this season. And therefore, this program is ascending, however, Lots of questions surround this majorly important piece, and therefore we are a complete unknown entering into year two with upside. Right. I would agree with a lot of that. I think the recruiting piece and the culture piece is super significant. If you don't have those things, you're not going to have sustainability on the field. You might you know, wander into to, to some successful seasons, but ultimately the program's not going to be viable long term. And, but, you know, the stuff on the field has to match that. If you have a great culture and great recruiting and then the results on the field don't match, you're not going to be around long either. And this is a really important year for Billy in all of these phases. I don't think anyone's expecting an undefeated season. But if this thing goes south in a significant way, the pressure is going to ramp up in an appreciable way that I think will have – a real damaging effect on the program. And that might have knock on effects in recruiting and culture and other things. And, you know, he's not there yet. The program's not built, but he's got to survive this year in a way that there's meaningful progress. And that's, that's going to be a tall task because we're going to get into. So Florida's unranked. They are in the receiving votes category. Got a few votes from <laughs> a few people, but yes, that sound right to you. I think probably, Brief discussion here. I don't think you would probably rank us either. Definitely sounds right, but also think about that. That Florida's receiving votes as a team that has five and a half wins in the over-under column. That just shows you how interesting this Florida football team is and how this season is being viewed across the board. Typically, if your over-under is five and a half, which is second worst in the SEC or third worst, you are not receiving any votes. That's, that's really interesting, yeah. So, yeah, there it, it, it is. It shows what we're going to unpack for you the level of Florida's talent, the level of Florida's opponent's talent, returning production, et cetera. It's not an easy puzzle to figure out preseason, but certainly starting Florida unranked is exactly where we should be with back-to-back seasons of six and seven, six and seven. Right. Uh, we were unranked last year. That was deserving, ultimately. That's where we are again this year. Let's see what happens. So the biggest storyline of the season, interested in your thoughts on this. 
There are many, and I think there are, there are co-equals here. I'm going to say the the play of Graham Mertz. Mm-hmm. Napier went out and shows him. There were other quarterbacks he could have gone after. He selected him. He's raved about him. He's really propped him up as a guy he believes in and supports. Uh, he's talked rather glowingly about him in fall camp. If you're trying to hedge your bet as Billy Napier, you are not saying those things. So he believes in Graham Mertz. We will see if that belief is sufficient. That also leads into a side storyline. Anthony Richardson's performance at Florida has been often talked about. We spend a ton of time talking about it. It's been tied to Napier. A lot of people think Mertz will be better because AR was too young and inexperienced, didn't fit the system, whatever. But if AR is doing relatively well with the Colts as a rookie and Mertz is not doing well, I think a lot of even the most hopeful Florida fans are going to start asking questions about maybe Billy Napier's offense is the problem. And if the reverse is true, then it's going to be different. Well, wait a minute. Napier knows what he's doing. AR was too inexperienced, didn't fit. He selected this guy. We can really trust him. So he's sitting, I think, on a balance point where you're not going to stay. You're either going to gain more faith in Billy's selection uh, of a quarterback and how he grooms him, or you're going to regress in that belief. Very hard, I think, to stay where it is. So it's a proving point. That is the biggest one, but some co-equals here are obviously Coach Ham, right? Austin Armstrong. It's like, what does the defense do? One of the worst defenses in all of Florida history, the worst defense in modern Florida football history, presided over by Billy's previous hire and Patrick Tony. And in comes newness. Right now, the excitement from is sky high, right? People are really, really amped about that. And I think to me, those two storylines, and there are other ones, are the two biggest narratives from last year quarterback play, defensive play. If those things get better and more consistent, you can create some positive narratives for Florida season this year. Yes, I think you stole both of mine. Uh, I'm sorry. No, that's good. You gave it to me first. I did, I did. I I think the merch thing is right on. If he's successful, I think that takes a lot of pressure off Billy. If he really struggles and the offense struggles overall, I think you're headed for a season of off-season of forced change. And yeah, I, the defense was wildly disappointing. Wildly. I don't I don't think we fully appreciated how bad it was because I think we kept hoping for improvement and it just never really came. Like marginal one, but you know, I went into the offseason saying the defense couldn't be worse than it was the previous year. And somehow it was. And that was extremely disappointing. So if the defense takes meaningful steps forward, I think that's going to reflect really well on the program. And you're going to hear more and more about the Billy OC stuff. I think if that goes south, that chatter is going to get louder and louder. So that that's a little bit of the kind of subplot, if you said, the, the Graham Mertz, Billy Napier, Anthony Richardson stuff. And both can be true, right? Anthony Richardson could have been a bad fit. He's inexperienced. Doesn't mean that Billy should stay the OC or whatever, right? You can find some narratives that split the difference there, but That'll be really interesting to track. Okay, let's talk about floor and ceiling. This is really interesting to me. Um, I don't think the range is as wide as it has been in some years, but it's pretty wide. You could put together a narrative. Let me, let, me, let me do the ceiling narrative here first. All right, the defense takes a huge step forward. Right, It becomes a top 25 unit. There's talent there. They gel. Armstrong is the real deal. And the defense becomes, instead of an extreme liability, becomes a strength. On offense, the offensive line stays healthy. Graham Mertz is as advertised. They move the ball effectively, if not explosively. The running backs are great. The freshman wide receivers all do really well. They provide explosive plays. Florida 
take some wins off some teams that maybe they weren't expecting to and they pick up nine wins and everyone is thrilled. That that's a lot of ifs. There's I think Bill Connolly uh, ESPN talks about like the if teams like oh, if you have one if you know, there you go. If you have two ifs, three ifs, we have a lot a lot of ifs. And to get to that ceiling, everything would have to break right. And I don't think I would bank on that. But so probably somewhere in the middle is where I'm going to fall. But the the ceiling is enticing. You, you can make a narrative that this team could be successful in a lot of ways. I think the ceiling in in standings terms is, is second in the SEC East. Right. That is a, a achievable ceiling. First is, is your dreaming. That would be an all-timer, an unbelievable year. That's um, also Georgia probably... We're going to talk about our extremely difficult schedule. Georgia has the one of the easier schedules right. in the country. And, and so I think, again, if you're out there, JT Raymond, we know you're out there, and you always think the ceiling is undefeated. Of course, that is a possibility, right? Miracles do happen. But in this example, we're kind of talking about, uh, you know, two standard deviations from the mean here. Right. A regular confidence interval. We're going to top, we're going to throw out the top five, bottom 5% or top two and a half, um, bottom two and a half, and just sort of get rid of those results and say, likely... I think that ceiling is is second in the SEC East. And that is, I, I think, actually possible, Alan. There are real worlds where that occurs, and we're going to walk through how that could occur later. So for me, that's the ceiling. What's what's your floor? The floor is really low. And the floor involves a Graham Mertz injury because we are basically nowhere at backup quarterback. The offensive line is plagued by injury. Coach Armstrong can't really turn it around. And you could see four wins. Honestly, there's only two real cupcakes on the schedule. And even as we saw last year, Vanderbilt is not a gimme. That this could be a four-win team if things go poorly. And that would be painful. That would be a real catastrophe for the future of the program. Yeah, I think the realistic floor is second to last in the SEC East for me. I have a hard, I have an almost impossible time accepting in any way, shape, or form that this team could be last in the SEC East without there being operator error, and that would be coaching staff. Even with a Graham Mertz injury in week one? I don't think so. Well, I'm going to talk I'm gonna talk about that later. I'm, I'm kind of, I, I don't want to get into the, the data for that yet, but to me, it would be inexplicable and impossible for this team to finish last in the SEC East, given our other competition in the SEC East. That, that should not happen and we're going to walk through why so i think it's second to last and second that's the range for me that's realistic um and i think anywhere in between obviously is is more likely but that to me is my floor and ceiling this year all right what's a successful season for you then what would you let's like the minimum viable product of successful yeah this is great this is where you could replay every single season preview year from when we started you know eight or nine years ago and i'm going to say first it's going to be about style and, and the film on the field improving. The selection of the right player improving, right? Identifying talent and giving them reps. Identifying guys who maybe were practice players and now are in the game and aren't doing well and moving them out. That's good coaching. And then seeing an increase in your level of execution, uh, of your adherence to your game plan, of how you want to play football, watching that get better throughout the year. That's the most important thing. Anyone who watches football knows that these games can hinge on one or two plays. You cannot control that as a coach, but you can on film get better throughout the year, put better stuff out there, 
and lead a program like this one to say this team is getting better. And yes, they had a bad play here or a college kid made this mistake there, but this team is getting better and that bodes well for the future. That's what this kind of season is. It's a campaign builder. It's a stepping stone. We want to see improvement. So for me, a successful season is that. I want to see better stuff on film. I want to see stuff that we saw last year that made our scratch our heads go away. Uh, I want to see more competent team play from top to bottom. I want to see more consistent play from weekend to week out. And I want to see an overall arc of improvement from start of the season to the end of the football season. That's what should happen with a roster like the one that we have. What the record is going to be, we'll talk about. What defines that, we'll talk about. But I think realistically, if those things happen, as I just mentioned, Alan, seven or more wins would dictate a successful season. And you could still have just seven and be successful if you have some really tough end-of-the-game breaks, some bad bounces, some crazy moments. You could accept a seven and still say, you know, that was really successful. I'm really excited about next year. I don't think I can create a narrative for six wins to be that. I just don't think I can. Uh, Even if you have like catastrophic injuries, uh, it would be hard to say six was successful. (laughs) So I'm going to go seven is that bottom level success, but I'm going to go seven with that style being much more important than the actual win total. Totally. Are we competitive in every game, which we were in most, almost every game last year, even against our opponents who ended up, you know, being very successful and putting it on us, you know, those LSU games, Tennessee games, Florida was still competitive in those games. But I would say seven wins as well. I feel like less than that, there's going to be collective disappointment. I'd be personally disappointed and, I don't know. I think you can stack up um, some metrics that would, you know, show that you're improving. And then there's just the feeling of watching the team on the field. I, I think you can be successful at seven wins and that's hard. That's weird to say as a Florida program where eight would have been, you know, eight wins is maybe the minimal viable product in most years. I think seven would be fine. I don't know. You can make a case for six, but yeah, if that, that feels hard to even say that out loud. I think that's where we're at. All right. Having said that, rank your excitement level for me right now, personally. I'm at a 10, and that's because I this is the building phase. This is when you have to, and you have to excuse Alan. He obviously is dying of a, of a coughing bout. So no matter how much we edit this, you're going to hear that in the background. Uh, we apologize ahead of time. It just happens. You can't time it. Also, my voice is groggy. I was at a wedding. Yeah, sorry about that, everybody. I was at a wedding in bygone West Virginia, and I was full sending it for hours on the dance floor, singing every single song, and my voice is raspy. So great start from Alan and I here. But regardless, I'm amped, Alan. I'm hyped. And the reason is every single year we say this, if you believe, if you believe still in the staff and the admin, there's a lot of excitement, right? We entered into year three with Dan Mullen or year four with Dan Mullen. Um, year four was what it was. I did not have any excitement, right? I was off the ship. This felt really bad. Same thing with McElwain. That was like a please make this stop scenario. That's not where I am here. So I'm still really excited, even though there's there's not going to be a championship at the end of this. I don't expect to win anything. But this is a building block season. This is a season where you get to, you get to watch the rebuild occur and I would be remiss if I did not give a major shout out right here and right now to my Baltimore Orioles. <laughs> I was born in Baltimore. The Orioles are having a sensational season with the second lowest payroll in baseball. They've been in a, in a rebuild that we hope is like Florida's. 
where they brought in a new front office. The front office had a plan and it has been working like clockwork. In fact, it's ahead of schedule, Alan. But I'm going to tell you, the building block seasons are really fun. Last year was the major breakthrough building block season for the Orioles. It's sensationally fun. So you have to appreciate the journey. It's an origin story here. So I'm still max excitement. I want to see if the hope we placed in Billy when we thought he was the best hire for Florida is true, or if we're going to say, hey, you know what? It was it was the right hire. It's not going to work. Now, we won't know that at the end of this season, but we're going to know more. And that, for me, is exciting. You're opening a new package every single week. You don't know what to expect. It's not the same old thing. I still have plenty of hope, especially with recruiting. This is going in the right direction. So I can't wait to see how it unfolds on Saturdays. I'm I'm a 10 out of 10 for it. I think I'm fairly high as well. I think for a similar reason, there's a ton of intrigue. I don't know what's going to happen. Is this team going to be successful or not? Maybe halfway through the season, I'm going to be just kind of so beaten down by bad results. But right now, I'm fairly, I guess excited is the right word. You can use that. Intrigued, you know, the doubt is compelling. If this was a team that's like, yeah, it's probably going to win nine games. You know, the schedule sets up. They're so much better than these teams. They're not as good as these other ones. Oh, well, there's such a big range of outcomes here that I think getting into the season right now is compelling. But it also feels dangerous. If this goes south, there's real danger here. Whereas a lot of seasons, it's not. there's no real danger if it goes south. It's just whether you're going to win those one or extra two games. So I, I don't know. I I feel that Gator Nation is interesting. I can't really get a read on how people are doing. Feels like some people are starting to really buy in and be hyped. I think the general casual fan though is probably pretty meh about this team. If you're not as into the rebuild process, you're not going to see a lot of fireworks. I don't think. So I wonder what the response to Gator Nation is going to be. Yeah, more meh. And back to the Orioles. If you're a baseball fan and you are a true baseball fan, you you dive into like what I mentioned, the rebuild, the farm system, the growth, who you, who you draft, how you develop the players, right? And you wait to see these guys reach the big league team. College football is similar. You get a four or five star recruit. He's not going to play right away. You read the practice reports. You see him get some touches during the season. We see our first film on someone, uh, you know, comes to mind. Obviously, we saw Hopper on film at linebacker late in the season. Oh my gosh, look at this guy's film. It's incredible, right? You get these moments. If you're just a fan who shows up to watch the game on Saturday and you don't know a lot about football and wins and losses kind of mean everything. And if you're losing, it's not fun. If you're winning, it's great, which I think is probably nobody listening to this podcast. Sure. But most fans are in that category. To your point, Alan, for them, it'll be just no matter what happens, it's a major meh. They'll catch on later when all the real fans have been, you know, excited and saw this coming and they'll jump on later and think, wow, how do we get so good so fast? I can't believe we're all of a sudden good. So yeah, to your point, I don't think what my excitement level is at a 10 is representative of other people's excitement levels. But I think for those of us that watch and like the rebuild, like the origin story, like to see the nuts and bolts of a program being rebirthed, it's an exciting time. Or to your point, Alan, it can be a really sad and depressing time if you start to lose faith in the builder and you think, hey, this rebuild is not going the way I want it to go. It's not going to be good. Then you start to lose hope and that becomes sad and depressing and frustrating. And again, to conclude my Orioles thread line, as an Orioles fan, I have experienced that many times. <laughs> so as Florida fans, we've experienced that since Urban Meyer in a variety of different facets. And uh, now we're hoping this is our time to break out of this. It's not going to be this year, but hopefully... 
this year's a down payment on the future. All right, some news, some sad news. Cam Carroll, the transfer that comes into Florida's football team, expected to get some kind of third string reps and as a power back, suffers a brutal injury in practice. It's going to take him out for the entire season. How does that affect the running back room, Alan? Well, hopefully not much at all. I mean, you've got your two guys that we're going to get to in a minute, Montreal Johnson and, and ETN, that hopefully we'll see the bulk of the carries regardless. But this is, you know, it's a depth piece. It's a guy who you would hope when, you know, pick up some carries for you. It just makes it a little thinner. The real bummer is the next one. So yeah. Justice Boone, who was projected to be our starting defensive end, um, you know, we lose him in the last scrimmage out for the year. And I think this has really caused uh, – <laughs> a large amount of repercussions. They're having to shift guys around, uh, change positions for some players. It's going to be really interesting to see how they handle this as a staff. But this shows you the thinness of where Florida is. That Justice Boone, who's not like a big star, you lose him, all of a sudden you have to go, uh-oh, what are we going to do? Yeah, so that's exactly that right. Sucks for him and sucks for the team, really. Sucks for this. And for Cam Carroll, too, obviously, a guy who comes right. in, really, really a selfless guy, right? Very productive comes in as, as a running back expecting to take a lesser role but want to play kind of in, in the big leagues. And that's just unfortunate. And then for Justice Boone, a young guy, other side of the career, who on film was really sensational towards the end of the year. We were highlighting him weekly. I was displaying what he was doing. I know the coaches were high on him. To lose him to lose him changes, as you mentioned now, in your entire defensive line. But really, it's indicative to me. It is just a simple example of Florida's rebuild at this moment. And you only have so many excellent, you know, products on the shelf. Right. And when one goes down, you go back to the storeroom and you say, we don't even have a replacement for that. And that's where we are in the rebuilds. We're not fully stocked yet. You can't reload and reloading always means lesser, right? There's a reason why guys are starters, but you can't reload. And so now you're really like having to get creative and innovative which generally is not good when you're talking about having a defensive end. So that was a major loss for Florida and also extra unfortunate that of course his injury, which can come at any time doing anything was celebrating a sack. That's extra bad. Like Cam Carroll is like a football play. Crazy stuff happens. But for justice Boone, I'm sure he's sitting around thinking you've got to be kidding me. How did this happen? Um, So really unfortunate for Florida's defense and really a spot, an edge rusher there where we were, loaded with the two and as you mentioned Alan nothing dependable behind him so a tough a tough spot to have an injury like that at let's do with that depressing news behind us let's do a team rundown now let's get to what we have here we do not know the two deep obviously no one knows that yet it's not publicized we're going to walk through what we think are going to be the impact players at each position. And of course, we're not even going to tell you exactly what the two deep will be, but we're going to walk through who we think is going to feature, who we think is going to get playing time, and then start to be and talk about some guys perhaps you haven't seen play yet that are generating buzz. Alan, our personnel guru here at the GNFP, is going to walk us through it. Alan, let's start with the offense and let's start with the quarterbacks, perhaps the most familiar room to the casual fan, especially with all the grand merch talk. But what do we have this year in our quarterback room? Uh, not a lot. Uh, you got Graham Mertz, who is a big question mark in himself. Jack Miller, who last we saw was playing terribly in the bowl game. And you got Max Brown behind them, a, a total project. And there's been some buzz that there's a guy named Micah Leon, who's a walk-on transfer, played at UConn and another place. 
that he's actually vying for backup reps. So that's a good thing to get another guy in the room, but also just shows you where we're at in terms of the quarterback development. I mean, so when people are like, Graham Mertz won the starting job, and there were people on the internet like, aha, they, he sucks. It's like, well, he's probably infinitely better than anybody else we might run out there. So if you're inclined to pray for people to stay healthy and you're a Florida fan, I would put Graham Mertz at the top of your list. What would you rate our quarterback room? A, B, C, D, F. Well, not having seen Graham Mertz play, a C, I mean, this can move up. I mean, but the the room itself is dragged down by, I think, what the both the current level of you know, probable play and the potential future of all these guys. Now that's going to change a lot over the next couple of years with recruiting, but right now Florida is in a tough spot. Yeah. I think the room for me is, is a D. Yeah. Probably a D Miller's not a starter anywhere viable. Brown's not a starter anywhere viable. Leon's a walk on, wasn't a starter. At UConn barely got any snaps. It's, it's a nice story that he's smart and picking up the offense. I mean, I love those stories, but as, as far as the Florida Gators go in a quarterback room, a school with, you know, three Heisman trophy winners, a quarterback, this is a bad room. But to your point, these are the ifs you mentioned earlier. If Graham Mertz plays really well, if he stays healthy all year, if other things happen, then perhaps we look back and think, great, we only needed one guy, right? Which can work. That's what you hope for. Every team hopes their starting quarterback makes it sure. throughout the entire year. But as a room, as a whole, if you're grading this out, uh, I think for Florida, I'm going to put it at a D right now, given inexperience, um, you know, project basis, guys who have been in the program for a while don't seem breaking through. So, We'll see what happens there. I want I want to ask you one more question here. There's been some talk on evaluating Mertz. And of course, we put out on YouTube, you can check it out for yourselves if you have not, a, a lengthy film review on Mertz's skill set. We've talked about that at length. That's not what I'm going to ask here. What I want to ask here is there seems to be these discussions where some fans want to look at what somebody was in high school. Mm-hmm. And so Mertz was excellent in high school. He was a top 100 guy. He was a number one pocket passer coming out of school, pro-style QB. And then others say what happened in high school is no longer relevant because we have three years of college football data, 30 plus starts. How do you yourself look at high school data versus college football data? It's one thing if you've got a true freshman that you say, look, this guy was really talented. Let's see what he does. Is there enough data on Mertz to say whatever his star was in the past isn't really relevant anymore? We've seen enough. Like, how do you factor that in? Well, I think only in the sense that it's, that he still maintains all of the physical tools he had in high school. He's still the same size. He's the same height. You know, he probably has a stronger arm, you know? So it's only viable that those are still true. You got to see the guy play in college for three years. So that's what you have to base him on. Now you could find narratives and four fans have talked about this, where why he wasn't as successful as he should have been at Wisconsin for, you know, their style of play, play calling, whatever you might say. So there, that's not the only thing about him, right? The the stuff in high school is still true, but to be like, let let's go back and look at his resume. He's the man. And it's like in high school, it's like, well, I don't know if you really want to do that either. So I wouldn't discount him, but I also don't think you can just prop him up from his high school stats either. That would be foolish. Yeah, I think you said that really well. The reason he was ranked really highly in high school is he has a a skill set that could become a professional skill set in this sport. That is why. Those things are still there. That talent is still there. But it's damaged because of the production at the next level that he had. And again, back to baseball, it's the easiest sport for this. 
plenty of guys come out high draft picks and it takes years for them in the minor leagues. They can't crack the code, if you will, Alan. They will get much more leeway than a guy who was a much later draft pick. And Mertz is getting a ton of leeway now because he still has all those tools. Whereas a guy who had his production but didn't have his tools probably is not transferring to UF and is not getting the look he's getting. So I like how you combine those two things together. I think that's well said. All right, let's look at the running back room. I think a lot of people, Alan, we talked about this already, would say this is the strength of the team at any position group that we have. I mean, you have two feature guys here who would be starting on most other teams, any other team in college football, if at least not getting a share of starter reps, which they are here. Walk us through this room. So Montreal Johnson, Trevor Etienne return. I think, I mean, I think they're well known to you guys. I don't need to say much about them. I think they're going to be even more successful this year. And I'm expecting big seasons out of them. Uh, The other guys to note, Trayon Webb is a freshman, uh, you know, fairly highly rated guy. And then they took a guy really late, Jacoby Jackson, who I have no idea about. He's a transfer. He's the other guy in the room. Cam Carroll would have been, I think, clearly the, the third guy at least at the beginning of the season. So losing him only matters if Webb isn't ready or you have an injury to one of the top two guys. So if those guys stay healthy, I would want them getting 90% plus of the snaps anyway, unless you just are in garbage time and you don't want to, against McNeese State, you don't want to run them out there at the end of the game. You want to put somebody else in, and those other guys are sure capable of that. And what grade would you give the running back room? Um, I would say A-, minus, just depth of light concern but that you know minor yeah i like a solid a here i think you have two sec level starters you have slightly different backs trevor i think being the guy who's got the longer higher ceiling of the two but they're different runners which is awesome there's true synergy there even though they're similar in size and i think you have a guy in Webb as a freshman the coaching staff is really high on he's a very talented guy Uh, so you have three guys in there who you can count on, I think, to have a, a three-back rotation that, look, NFL teams set up stuff just like that. Right? Sure. In Florida, that's why they had Camp Carroll. He was a power back, goal line guy. Could have used him on third downs as a pass catcher. Uh, Webb will fill that role. But for an SEC-level team, this, to me, is a championship-caliber running back room. If you fill the rest of Florida's team with what you need, you look at this room and think, oh, yeah, this room is capable of being on a championship-caliber team. So I'm going to give it an A for that reason. It's a group we're all excited about. Unfortunately for running backs, Alan, as we now know, if you follow the NFL, they are the most commoditized and I don't want to say least important offensive position because that's not to belittle their role and service, but they don't influence your football team as much as the quarterback does, or certainly as much as some other groups we're going to get to in a little bit do, but this is a championship. Well, I think in college, a great running back can make up for a lot of stuff, right? So the the gap is small is larger in college so it's still important for these guys to be i think on it for florida to be successful oh for sure definitely important again championship caliber here let's look at the wide receivers i mean basically ricky pearsall and a bunch of other guys we don't know a lot about so you saw caleb douglas freshman true freshman get some run last year he's all of a sudden the second most experienced guy here uh marcus burke is a guy who's played some snaps he's probably gonna play a ton of snaps you also have Jaquavian Frazier's tied. I'm not sure if I'm going to say this right. Chikiao Bowman saw the field some, right? In a in an ideal world, those guys are not going to play at all because these next three guys, Eugene Wilson, Andy Jean, and Aiden Mizell, the three freshmen, are going to light it up. I think 
they're actually maybe the hinge point, you know, assuming health for this whole offense, right? If those guys come in and can provide big plays, the kind of speed, the kind of explosiveness that we're lacking, all of a sudden this offense, I think, ups its points per game significantly because they don't have to drive down the field every time. If those guys don't really make it on the field or, or aren't able to translate that yet, it's going to bog us down, I think, quite a bit. And it's weird to say that about freshmen, but yeah, I think they're going to tell the story a lot for this season about how successful the offense was. Your grade on the wide receiver room. Oh, man. Um, again, I mean, we haven't seen these freshmen, but I'm going to say C minus. I'm tempted to say D, but I don't want to get in that category because these guys could, three guys could be all electric and you get, get to the end. What's their in performance? And maybe I'm saying A because these guys were all amazing. I love C minus, and that's because you're factoring in the future upside, which is high. Right. Right. And when we're saying rate the room, you're rating the room right now. Uh-huh. This is the SEC. Do you have talented production oriented receivers who have proven it in this conference? One. We have one. We have one in the SEC. One. That is not going to be And he would normally, you would like him to be your third best receiver. Correct. And so that's why it's a C minus. So if you've been reading all the practice reports and every single message board and you're super hyped in the freshman, look, we are too. But the reality is entering into a campaign, if this is war and we're going out into the battlefield, you got three unproven guys out there. You're going to roll out there. They're going to make mistakes. They're not quite ready yet, right? This is the SEC. That's a C minus, but there is upside here. That's important to note. Very important to note that the wide receiver room, I think, is one of those building areas where you you look at the foundation and you say, oh, I can see what kind of building this could become. We're probably going to look back at these three freshmen and say, this was when Billy started to show us what his offense could look like, but we're not there yet, so I like, I like that great, Alan. All right, let's switch to the O-line. Let's talk about the group that we have here. Um, what are your thoughts on this group? Obviously, a, a big hit, which we already covered and losing uh, a transfer back to Kentucky, the state of Kentucky, that is. And a a group now that has some talent, but has some questions. What do you got here? So Austin Barber, who we really liked from last year, should be the left tackle. Micah Mascua, transfer from Baylor, is presumably going to be one of the guards. The only real thing you would know is like Kingsley Egwukon is going to be the center. Except for he's a little dinged up right now. And in college football, you don't share injury information. So I guess we're hopeful he's going to play against Utah. Richie Leonard, who's played a decent amount of snaps as a backup, who's rather pedestrian, seemingly slotted in at the right guard spot. Or maybe they'll flip Mascou and Richard and Leonard, who knows. And then Damian George, mountain of a man, transfer from Alabama. Seems like he's going to be the only real option at right tackle. And there's almost no one else of note, right? There's freshmen who are talented. There's some other guys in the system, but... Uh, this is the place where if we have injuries other than Mertz, I think we will feel it most deeply. This is on the edge of a knife. I feel kind of okay, theoretically, about these five guys. Again, haven't seen George play, haven't seen Mascua play. That That's the semblance of a a quality offensive line, at least the outline that you would say is is there. But, man, we're back in the spot with those transfers Losing Ethan White, losing Tarquin, where all of a sudden we're like, yeah, we're we're a couple guys away. And again, I think the staff is trying to recruit well at this position. It's just young guys typically don't play. And so if you're counting on any of those young guys, you're 
it's probably just a wish and a hope. What grade do you have for the O-line room? Man, um, B minus, C plus. Uh, I, again, I just don't know. I think I can kind of project what a, you know, a Eugene Wilson might do. A redshirt freshman offensive lineman who I've never seen before, I, I have almost no way of like predicting what might happen with them if they were forced into action. I mean, Austin Barber, I wasn't like, yeah, he's going to be great, but he's been exceptional for us. So the, every guy in the roster might be amazing. I have no idea. But right now, from what I can discern just from their recruiting profiles and their number of years from school, I, I don't think we're in the most solid place currently. Yeah, as a room for me, this is a C- minus with downside, yeah. unlike the receivers. And that's because of the position itself, as you mentioned. Not that we're not recruiting a lineman that could be great one day. You do not want to be playing freshman lineman in the SEC. You just don't want to do it. It is not a recipe for success. And right now, Alan, we are one injury away at any of these positions, any one of them. And that throws us into some serious turmoil. And so that is a problem. That's indicative of your room as a whole. If all the starters that we just named stay healthy the entire year, this room could potentially be a B if they perform to the high side of their variance. So it's important that you recognize when we're talking about this, we're talking about the room itself, not just the starters it's easy to get caught up in our starters, starters, starters. But again, that's unrealistic. Injuries will happen. The depth of this room raises serious question marks. On top of that, Alan, you already mentioned it. We know that Kingsley's solid. We know Austin Barber is really solid. But he hasn't played left tackle he either. He has not played left tackle, but we knew on film he was really nice. I think they trust him. And then, you know, Baylor's not the SEC for Makuza. Richie Leonard, we've seen on film, is, is really a completely i think average lineman so you're no plus up there and then damian george is a guy who was at bama got a few snaps couldn't beat out other guys but probably is viable in the sec but there's where you are and we know that richie leonard is a huge downgrade from osiris torrance huge downgrade so that's not a step up so i think that's where my grade comes in that being said we are seeing an emerging hand that Billy is playing here, and that is size. Uh The size of this offensive line is ginormous physicality-wise, Alan. This is one of the biggest lines in college football. It would be one of the bigger lines in the NFL, size-wise. So Billy seems to be skewing towards taking big, big boys, and they're here and they're on, they're going to be featured, you know, each and every game. We'll see how this works out because again, we're still building here on the O-line. We've taken a lot of O-line. We are taking a lot of O-linemen in the upcoming class for 2024. It's an area of need, but for this season and this is the deal, running backs are awesome, right? They're they're sort of your your Ferraris or your sports cars, but the O-line, these are the guys that largely dictate wins or losses in college football in addition to your quarterback. Those positions are premium. And for Florida, once again, we enter in with major questions about what happens to this unit if it takes any kind of hit. So I've got this unit on my major concern list due to injuries. So if you want to pray for one position group, (laughs) pray the O-line does not take a single injury all year long. And I think you have a chance for Florida's upside to get hit. That's the best case scenario. If you want to reach the upside, this O-line needs to stay healthy. Let's look at tight ends, Allen. A feature group for Billy Napier on paper, in theory. We run a lot of 12 personnel where he wants to run, as you heard on our podcast earlier this summer. Of course, a lot of plays out of this, both passing and both running. So the tight ends need to be able to run and block. What's going on with this room this season? Uh, can we just skip this one? No. Uh, man. 
don't love this for us. Dante Zanders, who's a a nice guy to have on your team, former tight end, former defensive end, now back at tight end. Saw him last year, can you know, is a reasonable facsimile of a tight end. Athletic profile, but not the skill level, either blocking or receiving. Um, Arliss Boardingham is a guy who was a freshman last year, did not play at all, that um, apparently is fairly athletic. You saw Jonathan Odom, who theoretically is more of a blocker, although can catch the ball, but doesn't really threaten you with like speed or route running. And then uh, Tony Livingston, who is a guy who was supposed to be in the class last year, is in the class this year. Um, in the recruiting is like, is he offensive lineman? Is he a tight end could develop into a guy? I think the, the staff likes him. Um, Hayden Hansen, another redshirt freshman. I don't know, just question marks abound, you know, the injury to zipper, I think really put this, uh, unit back a step. This is theoretically one of the worst units on the team, maybe the worst unit on the team in terms of what we're asking them to do. I mean, you could have these group of guys and it was like, we don't really play any tight ends, so it doesn't matter, but we play them a lot. So unless we get a big season out of Arliss or Tony Livingston, I think this is going to be a really disappointing unit. This hurts. This unit hurts so bad. So spoiler alert, Alan, what's your grade on this unit? D minus D. Yeah. I'm going to go F. This is F specifically because Billy Napier wants to utilize two tight ends for between 30 and 40% of his offensive production. One third of his plays, he would like to have two tight ends. And that means there are a lot more where you like to have one tight end. Correct. So that's the other side of it is the other part of our offense is 11 personnel where we have one tight end on the field. Only 10% or so of the time will we run without a tight end in the field. So this is an offense that heavily features tight ends, and we have an absolutely, completely, in every possible way, non-SEC level room. Now, with that being said, tight ends are the hardest position, I think, in all of college football to get really good ones. There's a reason why in the NFL, tight ends have become so spectacularly popular, and there's also a reason why there's like 12 of them that are excellent, five of them that are superstars, right? And everyone's hunting for them. That position is unbelievably impactful. That's why you see guys get drafted who are former quarterbacks and basketball players because they're looking everywhere to find these guys. And it's a unicorn to have a guy who can block really well, like a Kelsey, and also catch passes really well. That is not an easy find. For Billy, I think he would just settle on two tight ends who could block really well. A little bit more old school football, power tight ends, big strong guys. You see him taking big strong guys. Uh, Tony Livingston was a guy who played offensive line and tight end. Big, big dude. So he's going to lean towards that. But right now, we're just not there yet. And this, I think, more than any other position group, Allen, hurts this this offense the most. It's really hard to run what you want to run when you are essentially playing with one arm tied behind your back. No team is going to fear any one of these guys just yet. Tony Livingston's a guy that we have been hearing has the most upside, but he's a true freshman. We have no idea when or if he'll be able to contribute. So when you're playing Florida and you go into prep week, you look and say, we're not worried about Xander's hurting us. They might gadget up some place to get him open. We're not going to game plan for him. We're certainly not game planning for anyone else. And so that takes a major guy off the table. And then let's say Xander's gets hurt, Alan. 
what do you do for 90% of your plays? Because Xanders is a competent blocking tight end. What happens then to your offense? What do you do then? How do you handle that? There's a lot of question marks here. This is disappointing. We've had a hard time recruiting tight ends thus far, which is borderline shocking to me, given that we so heavily feature them in the offense. Uh, So this, I think, is going to be a position to watch for Napier and staff and Florida. If Billy Napier wants to succeed in the SEC with his current offense, he is going to have to find a way to get a better room than you give them a D, I'm giving them an F. That's not going to be viable in the long run. So this is a room to keep an eye on. All right, let's flip to the defense. Uh, Actually, hold on, let's not. Let me give you overall offensive grade. So we went through all these different groups, quarterbacks, running backs, wide receivers, O-line, tight ends. Let's just look at overall where we are as an offense. What do you think grade-wise? C+. plus. I like that. Yeah, I think we're average, right? We're average to plus side with upside. I like that as well. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, defense. Let's start with the D-line. This is a group I think a lot of people are excited about, even after the injury to Justice Boone. But what do we have here on the line? Well, this is a little <laughs> conjecture. Um, I think a lot of guys are going to play. So it seems like the only guy who would be assured he's starting somewhere is Princely. And whether he starts at edge or kind of the other defensive end position, <laughs> they're kind of loose with their lingo a little bit, or at least it's lightly unclear to me what they mean by all this. But seems like he's going to play and play a lot. Um, Cam Jackson, the defensive tackle transfer from Memphis, also seems like the guy most likely to be the starter. And then the other spot, I'd maybe, and he'll be the nose, I assume. The other um, spot, Chris McClellan, maybe Caleb Banks, maybe. Seems like both those guys are going to play a ton of snaps. And then Tyreek Sapp, potentially starting after position moving. So that just shows you there's a lot of upheaval. Um, so at the edge, I think you're going to see Princely. You're going to see Jack Pyburn, who is a, I think a redshirt fresh freshman, and then some real freshmen. Kelby Collins, TJ Searcy, Cameron James, all those guys fairly highly rated. I, they're going to play a lot of snaps because they have to. Um, the only other guy I haven't mentioned, Desmond Watson. Everybody knows who Big Des is. I think he'll play a lot. Um, and you might be seeing like Chris McClellan at defensive end. You might be seeing Caleb Banks at defensive end. Who knows what they're going to have to do if they have another injury or they're playing a ton of freshmen. So defensive tackle – and maybe edge, I feel there's a lot of productivity and potentially like really high productivity of one of these freshman flashes. But 
Um, yeah, also some question marks about who's going to get the bulk of the snaps at the other defensive end spot. Yeah, well said. What grade do you give the D-line room? Man, this is tough. I, if you still had Justice Boot in here, I would probably give him an A. I think there's solid production with high upside. I'm going to say B. And it's weird to say a guy like Justice Boone would downgrade that much, but just creates so many knock-on effects of uncertainty here that I, I don't know really who's going to play where yet. And that I think that is maybe disconcerting for the staff as well. Yeah, that's well said. I agree with that entirely. And and this is where, again, you get to peel back the curtain and see the rebuild process. The staff does not want to be in the situation where they are at defensive end. They uh-uh. just haven't had time yet to address that position. We talked at length about the Mullen era and getting a bunch of misfits. Same thing with the McElwain era, a bunch of sort of like Swiss Army knife guys that don't fit anywhere and fit somewhere. And Napier has a plan. This line is also huge yes. size-wise. These are big guys, Alan. So offensive line, defensive line, big physical guys. They're going to get there. I feel very comfortable with what Florida's doing overall with their blueprint for the lines. I trust Billy in those regards significantly. He was yeah. successful at Louisiana in that. I, I I think he knows what he's doing there. So these grades are again for this season, but I think you nailed it with Boone. This was going to be a, a the other best group, I think, on our football team, along with the running backs. Now it's still going to be really solid. I think the interior is going to be excellent, top level, good depth. They can rotate well, what you want to have. But just having that huge question at the end, is is tough because again that's really important but couple this with armstrong who is a modern coordinator very creative we saw that even in the spring game where he's going to wind up using a lot of creepers a lot of simulated pressures a lot of linebackers with a gap blitzes where d ends drop and he's going to help mask some of that stuff you don't have to just line up in a four three or a three four and trust your edge guys to get there uh so with princely being i think a premier rusher and these other guys we have i think you can be disruptive um, so I like I like what you said. Yeah, it might be it's just some creativity. I mean, it could not matter at all. They could do fine here. It just again creates some uncertainty at this point of the year. It does. Yeah, you lost what was sort of your A level playlist, and now you're dropping down somewhere. Right, let's look at linebackers, a group that obviously we have been, you know, when you get one and Hopper, he's gone. You just never really have a complete room for years now. What's it looking like this year? So interesting, guys with a lot of years in the program without a lot of snaps. Um, seemingly, the starters are going to be. Taraja Mitchell, like a very old guy from Ohio State. He's like a fifth or sixth year guy. And then Shamar James, assuming he's healthy. Seems like Shamar James is like the linchpin of the group, no matter where he plays, of the two inside linebackers. And then some other guys to note, Derek Wingo, Scooby Williams, Manny Nunnery, who's a transfer from Houston. I think there's enough guys here that this could be a serviceable room if Shamar James is the guy we think he's going to be. And I don't know. Uh the other guys are serviceable. There's still some upside with Wingo and Williams. We only took one freshman linebacker, so it's not like there's a lot of opportunities for guys to break out. I I don't know. I feel okay about this unit. I don't know. Weirdly, I feel okay. I got if if they can just be serviceable, feels like the defense could abide with just that level of competence. And what grade do you give the linebackers here? I'm gonna say B minus, and that's that's a, and that's factoring in like a big jump from Shamar James, who went from a guy who played a lot as a freshman, who you saw a lot of flashes from, the way they talk about him as like the linchpin of this unit. And if he is that, and he can stay on the field, I think they'll be okay. Okay, I like that. Yeah, I think I'm gonna go C plus here. Uh, you got a guy in, in Mitchell who 
really couldn't play at Ohio State anymore at all, and then comes here and is an immediate starter at Florida, which is not a knock again on Billy. This is a that is a indictment on where the program was with linebackers at this stage. And if you look at this next class of linebackers, the 2024 class, it's loaded with linebackers. Correct. So again, it's really important. I'm going to keep saying this because I just I just know it's important when you listen to a podcast. Like, where are we coming from with this? The room as it is right now. Not what the staff is doing to address it. Not what the future looks like. We're going to talk about that stuff too. But right now, this is just this season going into battle. What do we have? And Mitchell's, it's nice to have Mitchell. Don't get me wrong. But again, not where you want to be quite yet. Shamar James is the guys you want to have. You want to have, you know, a bunch of those guys, right? At every position at linebacker. And then I think we have some guys who who can make some noise, who I think hopefully this staff can utilize. They're talented. They have some quickness, right? There's some upside there. There's athleticism. I will say that. Other and than correct. With each of these guys, they're not just blocks out there. Can you get them lined up and aimed in the right direction? If they can do that, I think we could get into this year and say this was, you know, an A-minus group because they played exactly what they needed to do. They were athletic. They made plays. They knew where to be. And, you know, they're not like, no one's making like all SEC lists, but they were really good for the Gators. That, I think that upside is there, which I would said in the past, like we're going to struggle. And it feels like with the right combination here that this could be a successful group. And I think that's the real key is what I do want to say as part of the rebuild process here is this is an actual linebacking core. Whereas before we had linebackers and, and hybrids, mm-hmm. right? We're starting to enter into a point now where even though this is weak, we had to do some gap filling these guys are actually linebackers for the most part. You still have a couple of, you know, borderline size-wise guys. Well, but Williams and Wingo are those guys who are correct. don't really fit any position, but that maybe they've been around long enough and matured enough that they could at least be serviceable there. But if you're running a 3-4, which Florida will run a fair amount of, and you have Mitchell and Shamar in there together, you have two actual interior linebackers who can tackle and fill the gap the right way. And Lord knows we know how important that is after having just catastrophic issues with the gap fill in the past that is step one of yeah getting if, in the if right mitchell direction. can do in a reasonable impression of ventrell miller and shamar james can be a real linebacker next to him then that looks a lot different correct and that's kind of what we're talking about here so the linebackers still question marks but i think what alan said is that's one of the biggest upgrades in talent coming in the pipeline mm-hmm. so help is on the way but it's not going to be here yet let's look at the cornerbacks here alan what do you got for this i room? really like this room Jason Marshall is the guy that you would see on any kind of preseason list. I mean, high-profile recruit. Um, has played well. Still has room to grow. And then opposite him, you're going to see, I think, several guys. But Jalen Kimber, Devin Moore. Would like Devin Moore a lot last year. Jalen Kimber is a guy who's been up and down a little bit. But still, you know, potential starting you know, caliber uh, corner in the SEC. Um, there's some younger guys, but I think one to note here, Jakeem Jackson, the freshman who apparently everyone loves and is like tagging with future star kind of, so I wouldn't be surprised to see him on the field at some point, but you have basically three guys here. I think who can be reasonable starters. And that I think, you know, anytime you can walk into the season like that, you feel good about it. Yeah. What grade do you got here? Uh, I'm going to say a minus, um, just, and the fact that you don't have a real, real star, like, again, I'm putting this not just for, for Florida is, but I'm thinking about like Alabama, right? At their peak, if they're like, yeah, you've got two guys who are going to go in the first round of the draft. Marshall could get drafted. All these guys could get drafted. So there's talent here. Um, but I think there's no real, I'm not 
if any of these guys were on the field of those of those top three guys, and again, you have other guys like Jaden Hill who you could move over in a in a pinch or whatever. This is a um, a potentially deep room. I give it an A. I think Marshall and Devin Moore will get drafted, and if the hype around Jackson is right, he'll get drafted too. So I think you got three guys there, and then Jalen Kimber, super athletic guy, hasn't quite on film put it all together to the level I think that Marshall has, or even that Moore had. Make no mistake about it: when Moore went down last year for Florida, that significantly affected what happened in already bad defense. But he was really emerging. I think a lot of Florida fans perhaps have forgotten about what kind of talent this guy is. But this is a great set of corners. You would expect that, given that Billy's, of course, flash, flashiest coaching hire right. right, leads to this. And, of course, this year, the entire secondary now being coached together cohesively. Uh, so that may help out the back end. But I love this room. I think if you're a coach and you're looking at your defense right now, you're saying D-line. Love it. Wish Boone was there. Linebackers, question marks. I can make that work. Corners, love it. And this is going to give, I think, Florida a lot of optionality when it comes to the style in which they play. How much man do we run? Do we press? What kind of zones do we run? This is a group you can work with here, Alan. And I like that. And I think the defensive staff does too. Uh, Let's look at the nickel or the star. The spot that has most irked me, perhaps, (laughs) over the entire duration of this podcast. So uh, we had Chauncey Gardner, who became NFL stud, is an yeah. NFL stud. But outside of that, it's been a, it's been nightmare fuel, and it's largely been like we've attempted to put the worst guys there in the past. Who do we have here this year? So it seems like Jadarius Perkins is the presumptive starter. You get your wish to see him out there, my guy, baby. Every all of you know, I've been stumping for this guy. He's a, he's a dog, man to man, and that I think also signals something, Alan. Yeah. And Armstrong's already mm-hmm. said this. Coach Ham has already said this. Expect I think some more press man to man than what we've seen. And that's why you'd play a guy like Perkins. I think he's been one of our best man-to-man defenders, if not the best. And lining up there in the nickel is huge. If you can erase that slot and your safety is not to come over and shade or help you or worry about the middle, you can you can do some stuff. And then Jaden Hill got moved over to this spot. I think he shows you how they feel about the cornerback room. Big time, um, right? I mean, Hill was a guy pre-injury, Alan, that yeah. we loved. And he's not quite the same guy, but still an SEC-level starter at the spot. And now they've moved him entirely out of corner. And there's a lot of... Other guys, again, you can draw from the corner room. You can draw from the safety room. Uh, I think beyond that, I don't. In the past, we've listed listed a bunch of guys because we just didn't know or we wanted somebody else other than who was going to play there to play there. But I would think those would be the two guys who are going to see the most action at least early on. Yeah, I love it. I'm I'm stoked about this, and I'm curious what your grade is for this one. Yeah, you know, I I feel optimistic, but also. We've been burned by this, so I think a B, you know, with we could get again, we could get to the year and be like, that was an A. They all those guys were great. Even the young guys they put in there did really well. We solved the problem. I, I'm hopeful that we can. Yeah, I'm gonna go B here just because I love Perkins. The question with Perkins though seems to be getting lined up, getting the right play in. There's a question mark there. He's not he's not a Chauncey, right? That's an A. Chauncey levels an A. Right. He's not that. Jaden Hill, a guy who has got talent. I love Jaden. He's a very smart guy. He's not going to ever mess up lining up, but he seems to have a physical issue. Now, it's possible he turns the corner and trusts his knee again, and that's different. And these are two guys who can play the nickel. I will say this. In the better by comparison game, these guys are, this is a great room compared to what we've been dealing with in the past here. I'm excited about that. Either one of these guys, I think, can do a better job than what we've seen. I think if Perkins can get lined up and be trusted to line up, I think he can do an excellent job. So I like this room. 
I think this room will give you versatility with how you play. Perkins also is a great tackler in the flat. Excellent. He comes downhill and he hits. So I like that as well. All right, let's look at the safety room here where we're going to see, I think, uh, a significant difference, obviously, from last year with some departures. What do we have here? (laughs) No Trey Dean, no Rashad Torrance. Um, Seems like Miguel Mitchell is locked down one spot. He's a guy who... You know, played a lot last year as a true freshman. It kind of came out of nowhere to get a lot of snaps. And then the other spot is Kamari Wilson, big-time recruit at safety. Hasn't quite lived up to that. And then R.J. Moden is a guy who (laughs) we're unfamiliar with, transfer from Michigan, but I think is a guy that they like there. Jordan Castell, true freshman. There's several other names on this list we could mention, but it seems like those are the four guys who – are in the running for the most playing time. And again, Castell is a total, like, yeah, the reports are that people like him and he looks good so far, but who knows? What do you give this room? Man, I'll say a B, but that feels either too high or too low because if it works out, either Wilson gets it or Mitchell and Moden are excellent. This could be a really good group or it could be a total disaster. And I, I don't really have a feel for it. Yeah, I'm going to go C, but that's this is C with a lot of upside. But C because, once again, you're entering into an important campaign with a lot of inexperience, right? So you can't you don't know what to expect from these guys yet. You haven't seen what happens when the lights are on and they're the guy. You haven't gotten what you've wanted out of Wilson yet. He hasn't been a disappointment, but he hasn't been what you wanted. He's borderline disappointment. He could lose his job potentially early on in this. So I think with that being said... <laughs> You're not quite where you want to be, uh, but you have upside here. So I think, again, if I'm Coach Ham, I see these guys. They're athletic. They have the right size. There's some big guys in this group. Uh, RJ Moten, I think, is the guy that if he starts to play a lot, will largely be because he's dependable and he does the right thing. He's kind of the benchmark for me. What are the maybe the more talented, more athletic guys doing? If Moten's playing, they're just not picking up the rotations correctly. If Moten is not playing, I think it tells you that these guys are offering the right mix of risk-reward of youth and inexperience versus athleticism. So, interesting group to watch here. Well, Moten has upside, too. I mean, you see him on, like, draft lists and other things, I and mean, he's not just No, he has upside, guy. but I always, you know, right or wrong, <clears throat> I always look at a guy who lost his job totally. at Michigan. Uh, and and then you think, hmm, the guy played a lot, lost his job. It's, it's hard to make heads or tails sure. of that. So you kind of think, well... You know, what well, Wilson, you would hope, is a guy That's they were the really guy. hyped on, right? Played some as a true freshman, right? If the narrative is right, it'd be like, oh, you're going to season, you know, if you anything, you know that he's playing, correct? And the fact that he's a question mark, That's the problem, is. Yeah, disconcerting. Yeah, that's why I'm going C, C, maybe C plus with upside. Yeah, I'll, I'll downgrade mine to B minus maybe, but I, I like I like these guys though. Yeah, oh, I like it again. Upside. I think you're seeing again to use the rebuilding analogy. You're starting to see the pieces are emerging, and this time next year when we have way more film on these guys, right? Then you have some proof of the concept. Right, we might be higher or lower. And exactly, that will change where we're at. So a lot of these groups are here. Okay, defense overall, what grade are you giving them? Man, so here's what's funny is I feel like I kind of know what I'm going to get from the offense, assuming health, you know, outside the Mertz factor. If you look at this grouping of players and the talent level and the recruiting profiles and the kind of the depth of each position group, this should be a good unit. 
But a lot of these guys played last year, and this was a terrible defense. But we have a new coordinator. Man, I, w- I want to say B for the defense. This has the like upside of a really good group, and I want to like them more. I feel burnt by last year. When we came in looking at what we're hoping from Patrick Tony and got the opposite, and Austin Armstrong is his clone in profile. Young guy, first year doing it, major step up. So I'm I feel a little gun shy here. Yeah, and that's the thing at Coach Ham, maybe clone and profile and what you just said, youth, etc., but completely different persona. Totally. But I honestly that's secondary to like what you get this group to do. Yeah. No, oh, for sure. And so that's what I think the key is. Again, I'm as high as anyone is on Coach Ham. You've already heard that. I mean, right. I hyped about this guy, but the reality is we need data. We don't have it yet. So it goes back to the ifs, which you mentioned. It's a great thing. I'm glad you mentioned that at the opener. It's so applicable. If Coach Ham is who we want him to be, if some of these guys turn out the way we want them to be, then this unit could be excellent. I think a B is the right grade, Alan. This is a talented group. Uh, it's 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 lost, thankfully, some of the players that really hurt it last year and drove us crazy. They're gone. That's great. We we are that is addition by subtraction. It's multiplication by subtraction. <laughs> In my eyes, and I think we have a coordinator who, by all accounts, uh, and including a spring game where things looked already really nice and right. cohesive, I think is going to play a style that not only I love, but I think the players are buying into. And look, I'm the I'm the last person on planet Earth that cares at all about what the players say during fall practice. Because every read every team's reports. This is amazing. The culture is amazing. The coaches are amazing. The verbiage is better. Everything's better. You can't trust it. But there are reasons to believe this defense has significant upside. And if you had to invest, Allen, in one unit of this football team, the defense is the one because they're so low. They're a stock that is significantly undervalued by the national media, by the average fan. I don't think many people realize the actual talent that is sitting on this defense and a significant turnaround can be made. And make no mistake about it, Allen, that is why Coach Ham took this job. He's a sharp, up-and-coming defensive football savant with a bright star on Alabama staff coaching a world-class linebacker lineup. And he chose to come here? That's one big reason why. If you're a young guy with a bright rising star and you can take a defense who is 100th and make them 35th even, you're going to get a lot of press. So I think there's a lot of reasons to be hopeful for the defense. Let's move to special teams. Let's talk about kicker, a spot that's still a question mark for Florida. Yeah, it seems like Billy came out and pretty much said Adam Halleck is going to do the you know, place kicking with Trace Mack doing the kickoffs. I don't know that that will change. Um, I don't think he wrote it in stone, but it seems like that's what it's going to be. And then at punter, Jeremy Crawshaw back again, our Aussie. So that's good news. Punt return, seems like Ricky Pearsall is – going to be the guy there and then kick returner I don't know that they've talked about it a lot could be a ton of different guys I have no idea uh who would you like to see back there I would love to see I think from all reports being what they are Eugene Wilson back there right and that that seems like the that guy. seems like it and that's that's a good place to use the freshman is on kick return if they don't fumble I mean that's pretty straightforward put your most, most electric guy there I love that you and I love Ricky at punt return. Of course, we were uh-huh. dying 
in previous years with who gets rolled out there, last year included. So I love yeah. that word. It seems like special teams is potentially going to be upgrading now to to excitement. So if you have on kick return, Eugene Wilson, and let's say, oh, Trevor Etienne, who was very capable back there. Yeah, he's have, a guy I don't necessarily want to like. Right, expend him. And I don't there, think they yeah. will. But the point is, like, we already saw that as the season went on on kick return, you got the guy who was the guy there. And now on punt return, you have a guy who I think you really like. And and I like this. We're moving in the right direction on special teams. So maybe, yeah, maybe Trayon Webb is a guy. You put some sure. speed. Yes. I think this staff, though, is going to start leaning towards putting playmakers there. And that's a welcome change because last year we had, I think, had enough of what was. And the, kick returner might matter at all, not matter at all if everyone just boots it out of the end zone. Yes. But so punt returner it. does matter. And we're does. putting We're putting one of our best offensive players there, which I think, again, that's a shift, at least in my eyes, a shift from what we saw last year. This is good to me. I like this development, even though it involves some risk. I think Crawshaw is an excellent punter. I think we're A with punter. I think we're a, a C, D with kicker. It's hard to, what are you going to do? Trey Smack's the overall number one kicker. And the guy can't, he can't, he just can't get his accuracy down. He's not accurate. Uh, yeah, that's so, maybe a little low for that. I think Mahalik was fine last year and if he's better this year that's good but trace mack probably has 15 more yards in his leg sure. so it's like the only reason you go with mahalik is because well i'm saying a little low because if you're again ideally at a level like florida you recruit whatever kicker you want which we have been doing and sometimes they don't work out sure. so you know i think to have a guy that you have to put on the bench is the guy who's got the bigger legs unfortunate but ultimately if we're within 40 yards i feel comfortable and most college kickers between 40 plus even if they're top kickers it's all yeah i think aggression. you know Rarely do you have like an Evan McPherson, correct, or you know an NFL level kicker on your roster. No, but. it's rare. It's rare for sure. So it's not. This is not. I don't think. Let's put it this way. I don't think this is going to sink Florida season. No. But you'd love to see something slightly better. Uh, all right. Overall, then we've kind of already talked about this, but to put a a cap on this, we have the defense rated higher than the offense, a B to a C. Special teams. Would you want to give a rating on that for this year? Where I, I would think a potential b minus yeah i like i like that i like a b in the b range so we got b special teams b defense c offense overall for a team that has five and a half vegas wins does that seem high maybe the team's a b minus okay yeah Yeah. (laughs) we're gonna unpack that we're gonna unpack that but first what is the weakest group on the team i think tight end for sure yeah that's a layup i totally agree what's the strongest group then man that's interesting uh I would say on offense, it's it's pretty clearly running back. Yeah, for and sure. then defense, maybe again, we I haven't seen two of these guys play, but potentially defensive tackle, and you know I'm including the you know all the different language one of there the guys who are going to play in the interior. So Cam Jackson, McKellen, Banks, Desmond Watson, anybody else they might throw in there, or maybe corner. You know, I, I think that has the most like top end talent. So those are the vying for the top spots there for me. Yeah. I mean, I like that. I don't think I have any disagreements with that at all. So maybe corner is the strongest group from top to bottom. I think if you're looking at pure talent ratings and rankings, that's absolutely true. Right. I mean, that's, that's exactly what it is. So I think in general though, this team is, this is the problem, right? My narrative is this team is not capable of being driven by the strongest groups because the weakest groups are too weak, if that makes gotcha. sense. So you're getting, like sometimes, right, your strongest groups, your O-line, your quarterback, your D-line, which we have some of that. And they can pull along your weaker groups in a way that you can get what you expect to be like a, a more positive pool. 
I think the weak groups are going to pull, especially on offense, they're going to pull the yarn enough that it might just unravel it for certain games. I think on defense, I'm not as concerned with that. I think I can expect a more stable, consistent level of production. Uh, but on offense, I think that that I keep getting stuck with that. Like these weak groups could really submarine right. what strength may come. And I think that ultimately may determine the rest of this season and how Florida, of course, does. All right, Alan, with the swing of the full season back in effect, it is time to bring back something I actually love, which are live reads. We've done all sorts of great live reads on the show so far. I know my mom in particular loves to hear whichever ones we have this year. And we do have two new ones to kick the season off. Let's first talk about AG1. AG1, as you perhaps have heard of from either other podcasts or other areas, is a daily foundational nutritional supplement that supports whole body health. We gave AG1 a try, that's Alan and I, because they actually sponsored our podcast and we had not tried it before. And in fact, really didn't know a whole lot about it other than the fact that it was something that you would take, of course, to theoretically enhance health, right? And as we learn more about it, I think the thing that I learned probably the most, Alan, and perhaps you too, is it's not a green drink. It's not just a green drink. In fact, it's sort of like four or five different supplements in one and you can essentially drink it all at once. I drink mine once in the morning before breakfast, and it really makes me feel like I've given my body what it needs to start the day optimally and nutritionally. And Alan, I know we had a lot of friends over taste testing this, and you've given it to your wife, obviously. Uh, what are your thoughts so far on AG1? So I'll confess that I haven't tried it because when Alessia saw it in the box, she took it from me because she wanted to try it. I mean, I've sipped it, but I haven't. I'm not on a regimen of AG1 because the the stuff they sent us was co-opted by her, but she likes it a lot. I mean, she talks about how she likes the way it makes her feel. And, you know, it's not like you're drinking it for the taste, but she doesn't mind the taste at all. I think that's what was shocking to me. My mom, back to my mom again, she would drink like this wheatgrass supplement that was just horrific tasting. Right. And although AG1 looks green, it actually tastes pretty nice. And in fact, almost everyone that we gave it to thought, wow, this actually tastes really kind of nice, especially given what you kind of think it might be. Essentially, if a comprehensive solution is what you're looking for from your supplement routine, then give AG1 a try. And if you do so, you can get a free one-year supply of vitamin D and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase. Simply go to drinkag1.com slash GNFP. That's drinkag1.com slash GNFP. Check it out. Let us know what you think of it. We'll be back, uh, obviously, with more reads from them throughout the season. And secondarily, one of our own listeners has created a highly rated game. It's called Football Coach College Dynasty, developed, of course, by, I mentioned, a Florida grad and GNFP donor. Football Coach College Dynasty is the ultimate college football management game for PC with a 97% positive rating on Steam. Be a coach, create your own game plans, call plays, recruit players, develop your team, and compete for national championships. Featuring everything you love and perhaps don't love about college football, including conference realignment, school boosters, official visits for recruits, the transfer portal, and yes, even NIL. Football Coach College Dynasty is available now on Steam for just $11.99. Start your season today. I love it. Right? How about that? So two two great things for you to check out. Let us know what you think of each one. All right, Alan, let's start with the second half of the pod. Yeah, prediction time. If we do this every year, um, it's kind of a fun little exercise to kind of gauge where we're at. We're going to make some predictions. We're going to do some over-unders. But let's start with breakout players. Give me a – let's start with offense. Give me your breakout player for offense. 
Ooh. Well, last year, it always feels good to bring this up. We <laughs> had mentioned Montrell and Ricky Pearsall, which those, yeah. are, those are pretty those are pretty solid picks, which means we didn't mention, and I'm not going to mention Trevor Etienne. It's not fair. You already broke out, so you can't right. you can't count that. I think the obvious place you go to here is receiver. That's, I think, where you're looking for a breakout player. I'll be curious to see where you go. Uh, you could choose Mertz. I'm not going to go with Mertz, though, in this case. Uh, I'm going to pick Andy Jean. I think that Andy Jean could become potentially a guy that Florida relies on. I'm not comfortable with Florida's X and, and Z receivers, the two outside guys. I don't think, uh, especially Marcus Burke, I mean, they can play some roles. They're big bodies, but I think Florida's going to be looking for a little bit more explosiveness perhaps in that spot. So I'm going to say if Andy Jean can can work his way into the rotation, uh, perhaps he becomes an emerging deep threat for this football team. They desperately need someone on the outside, I think, to challenge defenses. Okay, I'm going to go non-traditional here. And you can tell me if he qualifies, but I want to pick Austin Barber. That here's his breakout. Like, I mean, Florida, if you're a hardcore Florida fan, you know who he is, but he could ascend to like making an all SEC team at left tackle. I love if it. he has the kind of year that I think he could have playing a premier position like left tackle, then he could be a guy that we're coming back next year saying he's maybe one of the stars of the team. I like it. That's also a great pick because it's so much like safer and more predictable than. Picking a random receiver. <laughs> One of the three I, freshmen. Right? I haven't even seen Andy Jean take a single snap in college. I'm surprised so. you didn't take Wilson. Well, I think that the problem with Eugene Wilson is that he's electric and he's getting a lot of hype, but he he's Ricky is the slot guy. So right. this is mainly a positional pick. They're gonna play Ricky on probably another place. They are gonna also have a play on the outside. But if you're looking at like could, totally like Eugene Wilson is not going to become the the starting Y receiver, the the slot receiver, unless Ricky takes an injury. Although all the hype is on him, right? Percy Harvin style hype on him. So if you're not familiar with him, he would be the obvious candidate. I'm sure a lot of other allies are going to pick him. I wanted to go with a more positional play that, hey, this guy could become a starter perhaps. Right. And, and Wilson wasn't an early enrollee. So right. he's got, it might be a while before we can actually utilize him. But I do think to your point, Alan, he is the most electric guy that Florida is going to have on offense as far as receiver goes. Wiggly, super quick, and get lost. Uh, a guy worth mentioning. And if I had to pick two, of course, it would be those two. But this position specific, I go Andy G. And I like the Austin Barber pick. I think uh, we we chronicled him a lot last year. Really solid O-line. And look, left tackle, that is the sexy position on the O-line. That's where all the money is made. That's where you become a top NFL pick. So I like him becoming, as you're kind of mentioning, a household name and a guy who climbs up the radar. That's nice. All right. Anybody who could be an All-American, this might be a stretch, but could be. Well, I mean, you just you just gave yours, essentially, partially. Not that <laughs> Maybe. Not All-American. No, no, no. Not that you're going to pick him, but you know that he could climb ladders. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with, with a guy who's already on the tops of the watch list for this. I don't think this is going to happen, but if they use Ricky Pearsall correctly all year and he stays healthy, and he becomes he's, he's by far going to be the leading target on this football team. He could do enough in a world of college football where receivers, targets, etc. can kind of be all over the place. Perhaps he can do enough to keep himself in the conversation for that. Uh, again, I think super difficult for anyone in this offense to become that, but I'll, I'll take him. So my two picks here are Trevor Etienne and Jason Marshall. They have enough name recognition that if one of them goes nuts – uh, that they could conceivably make one of these All-American teams. 
Yeah, I mean, I think Princely could also make one on defense. Totally. I thought we were, I thought we were sticking with offense. Oh, sorry, we breakout players only on offense first. But I, I like. Oh, that. you know what? I went, I jumped yeah. straight down to who could you, be an All American. Yeah, you did. I was waiting, but you did that, so I was like, I'll stick on offense, and then you just decided to. That's cool. No, you're leading us in a defense. All right, so you're going, you're going Trevor Etienne on offense, and you're going to go Jason Marshall. Yes, on defense. So, <laughs> and did you name another one on defense or no? No. Okay, I like that. All right, so I let me totally backtrack here and say, okay. give me your breakout player on defense. Okay, now, now, now we're now we're talking. Okay, I like that. <laughs> I really want. Sorry, that's some terrible hosting there. That's totally fine. Um, so this is interesting because I think the answer to this question nationally is probably going to be a guy like Shamar James. We already know Shamar James is a really good football player. But I don't know how many other people know that that are not like really deep, astute fans of the team. But I like to give I like to give names in this segment. Perhaps we should always pick it as like the sleeper list. Like it's really it's really deep. Like they haven't played a lot. I'm not really yeah. sure what's gonna happen yet. Uh and I think I think it's a guy you already mentioned as getting tons of hype. And that's Jakeem Jackson, right? I think that as a corner how much he factors in and how much he plays, I don't know. But assuming, let's say, somebody gets injured or something happens and he gets a chance to feature Allen, I think I think this is a guy that could just flash, right? Gets on film, just absolutely flashes, and he becomes a guy that you know about and hear about. So I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Jackson as a corner there uh, for a breakout player. And again, more of a sleeper since we've never seen the guy play. I'm picking sure. blindly, but I'll stick with my theme of blind picks here. You like to do that. Yeah, um, why not? So I'm going to go with Chris McClellan. That's a nice pick. He's already been. So these, this is in the Austin Barber mill. So we've seen him pick. play. He was great as a freshman. That he could be a guy who has the potential to be like an all-SEC type guy. I don't think he's going to get there in his sophomore year. But he could go from a guy who no one's really talking about to one of the stars of the team. That's a great pick. That's a guy that that I loved on film. And we As the season went on, I mean, he was an absolute beast. I expect big things for him as well. Uh, and again, we have film on him. So that's a nice nice pick there. All right. Let's go back to this one. Anyone else who could be an All-American? Yeah, I'm going to put Princely down here. I think it, depending on the style of defense, which is very aggressive, we know that, right? So it's a really aggressive defense. He's by far our most athletic edge rusher. I think they're going to try to scheme things up to get him to the quarterback because we need to be disruptive. I think he's one of the other one is the shoe, and it's obviously Jason Marshall. I think Jason Marshall's in position to become something like that. Uh, he's the number one guy I think you would you would draft on defense if you wanted to give an accolade to somebody here uh, that could become All-American. But I'll, I'll take Princely, partly scheme, partly the fact that really he's going to have to be the guy generating pressure on quarterbacks. Perhaps he breaks out and is able to record you know a, lo- a lot of sacks or pressures or something that allows him to sort of have uh, recognition placed upon him. All right, still so a little over-unders here. So this is a, always a fun one. Points per game on offense. So last year we were 29.5, which was – Good for 57th in the country. Yards per play was six, which was 29th, just to give you some references. Yeah, six there. yards per play is good for 29th yeah. in the country. So that was, we were actually very effective on the, the stats you can control a bit more of. Yeah, points per play, 0.413, which was 45th. So actually, I'm going to keep that number there at 29.5. So are we better or worse is basically what I'm going to be asking you here. Are you going to take over under 29.5? It's a great line because I really feel like we're going to be more of the same. This team is different in some ways. We've replaced some people. We lost our highest rated quarterback draft pick ever, who's now already a starter in the NFL. Whether or not he will remain one remains to be seen. But regardless, he still has that distinction now. 
we, we, we change in Graham Mertz. We, we have some issues on the O-line. We have question marks at wide receiver. It, it's, it seems hopeful to think that we would be better than this given our schedule and what we're facing. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say that we push this, though. I think we're probably going to finish somewhere in that range between 45 to 60-ish on offense, which is probably right around 30 points. So I'm just going to say over because I want to be optimistic, but it's going to be like barely over if it's over. Okay, I'm going to go under. I think we'll just, I think this is a great number because I, I want to pick around this, around 30 points a game. So barely over for James. Under, barely under for Allen. Okay, noted. It's there. All right. Uh, I think we're in agreement then on, I think what our expectations are at least. Okay, passing yards. Last year, Anthony Richardson with 2,549. I'm going to keep it there again, over under 2,500 yards passing. Another really, really good number. A lot of up and down performances from Richardson. I see no reason not to expect the same from Mertz. I think it will look different. They're different players, very different players, but they're also both equally inconsistent. Uh, Mertz has played a lot more games. So if the upside for Mertz is, hey, maybe this system fits him. He has a lot more experience. He can really take off in a system that highlights his strengths. That's not at Wisconsin. He's got better talent around him. All those things can be true. I don't know how much Billy wants to pass the ball. We have serious questions at tight end. We have weakness potentially at O-line. My number one factor for Mertz was O-line health. I talked about that in the film breakdown. That seems in question. I'm going to take under. I'm going to go over. I think he hits this, not by like a large amount, but I think he can go over this. All right, TDs last year, 17 passing for Anthony Richardson. I'm going to set the over number over under at 16. 17 is not a high bar no, uh, at all. Florida had struggles in the red zone. I think, I think I'm going to go over here for Mertz. I think Florida is going to have a lot of red zone opportunities. Uh, I'm going to imagine... That it's close again. I mean, I think these guys are similar. I'm just going to take a slight over here. I'm going to go under. Uh, barely. Uh, it feels like he's... When we're in the red zone, we're going to try to run it in. Maybe that's not going to be effective, but I think that's what we're going to try to do. That's accurate. I think that's true. Yeah. I think hopefully some of this is like year one to year two or a little more efficient on offense. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised if you went over, but that's the feeling. I know I went over in yards, but under in touchdowns here. Okay. Interceptions, nine last year. I'm going to keep it. I'm, it's the theme here. I'm going to keep it the same, nine. Yeah, because, again, they're the same guy, stats-wise. It's a good choice. Uh, I'm going to go slightly over. I think he's going to be at 10 or 11. It's just, he, this is, I mean, he should he should take much better care of the football, but I've seen on film too many times when he'll just miss a basic throw. He's nervous. He gets geeked up, whatever, and I don't know that that's gone. So we... Under is the pick I want to make, but I'm going to say over, slight over again. I'm going to go under. I, I think like he does a better job this year, feeling less pressure to like be the guy all the time. Okay. No, I hope so. I hope it's under for sure. Okay, 1,000-yard rusher. This is always feels like a pipe dream, but I'm going to set it at 1,000 yards this year. So last year, Montreal had 841 yards. ETN had 719. Do either of these guys get 1,000 this year? Yes. I think so. I think that Billy likes to run the ball roughly 55% of the time. I think this year we might run it 60% of the time. 
I think he might lean into that more. We still have issues as we've talked about, but these backs are both very capable of that. Uh, and obviously Mertz, although he can run at quarterback, make no mistake about it, Mertz can run at quarterback. He's not Richardson there. So I think it doesn't take too many more yards for one of these guys to get it. Also, if any one of these guys gets injured, it's a slam dunk. The other one will get above 1,000. So I'm going over. Okay, I'll go over two. I think it happened. First one we've had together. Wow, nice. All right, I'm going to lower this number from 750 to 700. Last year, Ricky Pearsall had 661. Does he or anyone else go over 700 yards? I think if Ricky stays healthy, he goes over. I think they're going to use him as much as possible. He's going to play way more snaps than he played last year. He's going to be an absolute feature guy on this team. And I think because of that, feature guys tend to eat up stats. I'm going to go over. I'm going to join you there. All those great, great thoughts there. Oh, thank you. (laughs) Okay, defensive ranking. This is just comical. (coughs) We usually like to pin it as top 30. So when you put all these things together and you kind of look at it cumulatively, I'm just going to say top 50 unit here. Can this can this unit be top 50 kind of cumulatively? How far we've fallen from. It was always top 30 every year. I was like, well, should we go top 15, top 10? Uh, man, top 30 is where we are. Um, top 50 is where we live. <laughs> so previous years. We have been all over the place. In mm-hmm. fact, if you want to anchor where our defense has been, last year, of course, we were sub-90 in most categories, so 90th or worse. If we go back a little further in 2021, uh, we were like between 30 and 50 in most categories. In 2020, we were between 70 and 90 in most categories. In 2019, that's how long it's been, we were top 25. So this is how we've been not good on defense now for really almost the entire Mullen era and now leading into this. Uh, with a lot of regression so 50 would be nice that would be better than what we've seen in our past four-year sample size you've already heard me talk about the pieces on defense you heard me talk about how much I love coach ham I love the scheme I like the communication I like his energy I really like his energy I think all that stuff matters ball control football team run the football try to play close games given what we have this season I think this is going to wind up being a top 50 unit based upon points per game, points per play, and yards per play. It's sort of the aggregate of that thing. I'm going to go with the uh, the under a top. No, it's got to be over. I'm going to go over a top 50, meaning it's better. It's better than 50. I love it. I'm going to join you there. Um, it's It's such a low bar. But as we said, the talent on the team – if you just looked at it on paper, you just put out the star rankings of those guys, you'd be like, yeah, certainly with any kind of coaching acumen, this could, should be a top 50 unit. It's weird that we have to set the bar there. Okay, number of sacks by one player. Last year, Princely with just 4.5. So I'm going to set the over-under at 7. Usually we're trying to talk about 10. That feels high. I don't think we'd go there. So 7. It's really hard to get a lot of socks in college football, a lot of rotation on the D-line, especially now with the way football's moving, Allen. Sim pressures, creepers, DNs are backing up, playing coverage a lot. You don't get as many rush attempts. Um, it's hard, right? It's hard to get that many. I want to be optimistic here, and I want to lean into what I said. With the loss of Boone, I think Coach Ham's going to try to scheme up ways to get Princely to the quarterback. I think he's going to be more hesitant to drop him back. I think he's far more likely to drop the end back because you need to keep your premier rusher going. So just by sheer volume of attempts, I'm going to go with Princely getting that seven number. Hmm. Could be anyone else, but that's what I'm going to do. Yeah, I'll join you there. I think it's going to be him. 
And I think it's going to be, you might get a push out of this, but seven feels like the number I would choose. So, all right. Who, your prediction for team MVP, if things go well. Yeah. And this is right. That's what I was going to say. What are we, what are we factoring in? If things go well, it's, 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 this is the way football is on the, on the team that Florida has this year. And that's and that's that's going to be Mertz. If 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 it goes well, it will be because of Mertz. If you can get what we just said, what we expected, if you can get a top fifty unit out of this this defense, if they can be fortieth, let's say across the board, and Mertz is above average, this football team is going to have a pretty good season. Like that's what's going to happen. So I think by that account, you give the MVP to the quarterback. Quarterback has the most responsibility, the hardest job, all those things. Uh, it's it's a bummer of an answer always because you're kind of looking around thinking. What does this matter? But the reality is he is the most valuable player. We talked about the quarterback room. We do not have a quarterback room behind him. There are woeful options without a lot of immediate upside there. Uh, He is the most important, so the MIP player on the team, and therefore he will be the most valuable, assuming the season actually goes well. Yeah, I think you have to pick him. Uh, There's really nobody else. I mean, the running back split votes. There's nobody on defense that you would say was going to really drive us to success. If Mertz has a good year, then Florida probably has a good year. There you go. It's that simple sometimes. Okay. We usually put a recruiting update in here. We, we did a little bit of this last time, but it's changed slightly, but just kind of maybe remind people where we're at. Currently. Yeah, we just wanted to give a quick trajectory and we'll talk about recruiting as we enter signing day and throughout the season lightly. But you know, on this podcast, we like to focus on the macro. You heard this a month ago. Here it is again. We use the the tier system using the 247 composite. A championship caliber team is tier two or better. Tier two is pulling in one top 30-ish player, uh, four top 100 players, and 11 or more top 300 players. That's one top 30, four top 100, 11 top 300. Tier one, two top 30, six top 100, 13 top 300. It's been many, many years since Florida has been in a tier two or better recruiting year. Uh, 2021 was tier 2.5. Most of those guys didn't stick. Tier 2022 was tier four. Tier 2023 was tier three. As a refresher, that was last year. Uh, we had no five stars. We had two four stars. I mean, sorry, we had no top 30s, two top 100s, and 11 top 300s. And 2024, Alan, the trend right now, two top 30s, six top 100s, 12 top 300s. That is a significant improvement, right? Two top guys tripling your level guys, tripling your guys from 2022 and 2021 in that top 100 area, and then doubling them in your top 300 area. So this is the kind of trend you want to see with recruiting. You want to see an upgrade and an increase every year until you reach those top two tiers. And again, Florida is sitting at tier one and a half, but I think in all likelihood, Alan, this team makes it to be a tier one class, which would be the first time since Urban Meyer by our tier system, you would have that. So don't sleep on what's happening with Florida's recruiting. It is super important. It's also why the on-field results will matter. If you are cratering and you are playing really, really poorly, then you're going to wind up hurting yourself, at least in some regard, with reputation of future recruits. Uh, that can affect things. But right now, recruiting, grading, A-plus on trend and momentum this can rebrand Florida football, couple that with an eight or nine win season, and you're going to have Florida as one of the most talked about teams heading into next year. So that's what stands to be gained. 
recruiting right now, major uptick. It also feels like Florida has really figured out the NIL landscape. Very professional, very clean. Uh, they've taken the lessons they learned from last year and they fixed them. That's a good job by the coaching staff, by the admin, by UF in general to fix that problem. So, so far, recruiting is is a bright and shining star. And again, it's been a long, long time since we've been able to say that. On top of that, as a closer, Alan, we are building complete classes for the most part here with these classes. Muschamp had some really highly rated classes that wouldn't have tiered as well on our end because they were largely filled with a couple of top guys, then some weird guys, mostly defensive. Um, these are really, really well-balanced classes, as you're going to see when we look at our future schedule walkthrough. But regardless, tier one and a half, we are in the championship caliber for 2024. We would want to see that continue on basically infinitely through Billy Napier's tenure, tier two or better. So we're happy to report we are in an excellent place right now. Let's move on then to our schedule walkthrough. Really excited about walking through this, Alan. This will be our closing segment for this pod, uh, as we typically do here. And we're going to start with the Utah game, which we are not going to pick a win or loss in. We're not going to do that because we're going to do that next week. Every other game will pick a win or loss because as the season goes on, of course, things will change and we will pick our win and loss each week. But we'll save Utah. What's important to note about our schedule here, Alan, it is the hardest in the country. Not one of the hardest. It is the hardest. If you look up Crazy. the old SOS, it is number one. We are playing right now, preseason vote ranking, the number one, five, eight, 12, and 14th best teams in all of college football, in addition to both South Carolina and Arkansas, which are receiving votes. Again, we are playing the number one, five, eight, 12, and 14th ranked teams, Alan. That is largely why Vegas has Florida where they are at five and a half wins. Now we're going to go through and see where you have Florida minus the Utah game. Are we going to wind up being over or under? And we'll start with Utah right way, right now just to give you a primer. I wanted to add this to the conversation now, and I think it gives us context. So what I did for my quick data, and, and I think this is an easy reference for all of you, is at a snapshot, what does the top end talent look like at each school? Now keep in mind that this takes no consideration into account of actual on-field production or year if you're a junior and you're a five-star that's a lot better than being a freshman and a five-star in this current season correct I took none of that into consideration it's a quick snapshot of how talented is your roster on its own and UF entering this season is going to have one top 30-ish player we're going to call it five-star and 43 four-stars so anchor that in your mind one five-star 43 four-stars. Utah Allen will have zero five-stars and 20 four-stars. So what that means is in game one, in a season where Vegas has Florida at five and a half wins as the over-under, Florida is on paper a more talented team than Utah is. Utah right now is trending anywhere between a six to seven-point favorite. Talk a little bit about this Utah matchup. And again, next week, you're going to get the full breakdown. But talk a little bit about this as it looks to you entering into the season. Well, this is a weird discussion because Utah, I think, is a proven, tough, talented team. Like they they play, they punch above their weight. But the big thing is going to be who's going to be their quarterback. And we don't know right now. Their backup is hurt. Cam Rising is not yet cleared. They could be starting their third string quarterback. Maybe he's awesome, but that could derail the entire game for them. 
We don't know. So that's their big question mark. But certainly they're on paper a less talented team. The only This is weird when you look at Florida, right? The only team that is clearly more talented than Florida is Georgia, and they're more talented than anybody. And the other team that's more talented is LSU. Everybody else is on paper using just your very brief metric, less talented, and most of them significantly so. But again, we know that's not the full story. Texas A&M is uber talented, and they've been a train wreck on the field. So you have to do more than just put numbers next to everybody. But it is a little interesting exercise. Yeah, it's a good way to get a frame of reference for kind of what does the roster look like. And again, this is why we're doing this last. With no context, you'd be like, oh, man, Florida's going to win 10 games. With the context of us walking through each position group, where the players are, where the talent is, you can see the holes. But perhaps this exercise will show you that these teams Florida are playing also have a lot of their own holes. And that's the beauty of college football. So week one, we pause on. We'll get to that next week. We'll have our total win-loss record available then. But now we begin to make some picks. September 9th, McNeese State enters into the swamp. They are an FCS team, so there's no need to give a star rating for them. Uh, They presumably have none. This is going to be a win, yeah? Yeah. Okay, so both of us there win. This is your warm-up game. Of course, if you beat Utah and you get... Oh, you're, you're entering the swamp here with tons of excitement because looming in the following week is my favorite game on the calendar, Tennessee. A hyped-up Tennessee, a fan base is going to be derived. Tennessee has two five-stars and 33 four-stars. So you could say you could say that Tennessee might get a slight nod in talent because you can only play 22 guys, and they have a couple of higher-end guys. right? But I think all in all, let's call it a push. It's a push talent-wise. No one really has an advantage here, and they're playing on the road. Now, they do have what we would consider to be an offensive advantage based upon a much better, at least last year, performing offense, a team that seems to be on the rise. Right now, in August, what do you like for this Florida-Tennessee game? <laughs> Unfortunately, I'm going to have to pick loss. I mean, just the way Tennessee performed last year, even though they're bringing in new quarterback receivers, at this stage before I've seen Florida at all, I have to go loss. Yeah, I'm going to go loss here as well with major caveats. You have to see these first two weeks, right? Uh, because, look, Tennessee, there's a blueprint to beat Tennessee. And Armstrong, I think, is a guy that will play the right blueprint. And this is going to be a game I'm circling the calendar for multiple reasons. It's going to show me what kind of guy Armstrong is. We talked about Tennessee's offense all year last year. We talked about from week one, Allen, that Pitt has put a blueprint out there to play with Tennessee, even if you don't have the same <sighs> defensive talent that Georgia does. And they were successful with that blueprint. Almost nobody else followed it, including Alabama. I've got a feeling that if Armstrong is the guy I think he is, he is not going to do what teams like Alabama did. And instead, with that defensive talent we have, is going to challenge a Tennessee team with a quarterback who's very capable in Joe Milton. Let's not forget, Alan, Joe Milton was the starter over Hooker. He was the favored guy. He missed too many deep balls, essentially, to where he got removed for Hooker who had his own accuracy issues. So Milton can still play the spot. He's super familiar with the offense. They lost a lot of production with their wide receivers. Either way, I think right now it's more prudent to pick a loss. That could absolutely flip when we get two weeks of data on these football teams. Absolutely, that could flip. All right, let's talk about the next game then is Charlotte at home. Again here, uh, should be a <laughs> yeah, win. win, Charlotte, win. Charlotte is obviously an FBS team. They have one five-star and seven four-stars, far, far more talented. Both going win here. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Now we play at Kentucky. 
Kentucky with one five-star and 29 four-stars. So I think you can give a talent edge here to Florida. Florida also generally has higher-ranked four-stars. I'm not a big believer in this Kentucky team. I thought they were pretty garbage last year. And inexplicably, we lost that game. Now, this is on the road. And they are bringing back their OC. They have a high-profile transfer in Devin Leary. But still, I think i got to give Florida the win here. Yeah, this needs I'm gonna put this out right now. This needs to be a win for Florida. If we assume both teams we assume both teams are healthy entering into this game. And Billy Napier is who we think he is, or we want him to be, I should say. And I'm not sure what to think of who he is yet on the field. We've got to figure that out. But who I want him to be, this has got to be a win, right, Alan? Kentucky has their own rebuilding year of sorts this year. Florida on the up. If they're supposed to be on the up, you gotta win this one. I, I think Florida needs to get this game. I'm going to go for a win here, and a loss I think would be would be painful depending on the circumstances. All right, Vanderbilt then comes into the swamp. Vanderbilt with no five stars and only four four stars had a pretty daggone good season last year. Yeah, I think Vanderbilt Florida is no longer a total pushover. Those days are done for the foreseeable future. But I mean, this is a revenge game at home. This has got to be a win. Has to be a win. So this is a very interesting stage here. Because really, you get freebie McNeese State, freebie Charlotte. Even if you lose to Tennessee, you get, I think, two absolute must-win games. Kentucky Vanderbilt, you have better talent than them. They do not have like a senior-laden roster that's got something that's presenting trouble to you, right? And then you welcome a road game at South Carolina, which is a team that you beat the brakes off of last yeah. year, that then turned it around to go white-hot upsetting Clemson, adding several big wins onto their docket. What do you think about? There's a lot of hype around this team. I mean, this is a real swing game here. I, and But I feel like just the way I'm kind of parsing this out, you know, in terms of wins and losses in my head, I think I'm going to go ahead and give this a win. Okay. I like that. Like, this is a true coin flip game to me. Yeah. Uh, Spencer Rattler, I think, really turned the corner for them at the end of last year. I think he could become a you know a top two or three guy. In or the that SEC. was fool's gold, and he could comes be. back to earth. Well, that's the key. That's what we're saying, right? A talented guy, obviously, but do they have it rolling? Do they not? So, again, you need more data. Preseason picks are fun. If I could do win-loss coin flip, this is the one that I would yeah. just put a C next to because totally. I, I, it can go either way, and I don't, I don't have a good feeling. It's not a must-win, I think. I think there's ways the South Carolina team is good, and you can lose to them, and it can be okay. It's really going to depend on what their season looks like here, uh, but I'm gonna I'm gonna go for I'm gonna go for again if we think Billy is who we think he is, then he's riding momentum here. Win versus a, a team like Kentucky, win versus Vanderbilt. South Carolina is still a similar a similar just but different test. I'm gonna go win here. Florida's got a lot of momentum rolling in, and then we face I think this the part of the schedule that's going to determine our schedule. Yeah, uh, we play Georgia and Jacksonville. Georgia with. 13 five stars, 49 four stars, a decided talent advantage here. Yeah. Until otherwise, I have to just put an L here into infinity, unfortunately. Yeah, you can raise questions about new quarterback and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Doesn't matter. That talent difference is so immense. The coaching difference is proven. Gotta go with an L there. Uh then on the road against Arkansas. So now you're running to home that, home Arkansas. Or sorry, yeah, home rather. Sorry, another one. Home against Arkansas. This feels pretty coin flippy as well. Um at least I, I, Arkansas is a little bit of a black box to me. They're returning KJ Jefferson. Are they the team they were two years ago? Or are they kind of the middle tier? I think this is going to be a really tough game. If this is on the road, I'd probably pick loss. But because it's home, I'm going to go win. 
Yeah, I would go coin flip here too preseason. This is going to, I think, determine the health of each team. Arkansas is thin too. They're they can have issues. You know, they go down like we go down. I think this game becomes very different. Really hard to pick this one from this far out. Assuming that we have what we have here, wins and losses wise, then I think that you know this team probably feels pretty good about themselves. This Florida team does, and the home crowd's going to be there supporting them. So I'm going to go win here. But again, it's my really really my second C of the pick. Now we head on the road to LSU for a late season LSU game. Yeah, at least by Florida standards. And again, I'm not as big a believer in LSU as maybe the rest of the country, but this is a tough spot on the schedule. They're a talented team. I'm going to have to go loss. I'm going to go loss here as well, which would make Brian Kelly two and zero in the coaching battle of Florida versus LSU. Of course, the, the two new hires next to each other. Uh, tough spot for a lot of reasons. LSU seven five stars, thirty five four stars, more talented than Florida playing at home. A lot more expectations for them, which could be the blessing for Florida. If they're not meeting those expectations, like you mentioned, Alan, this LSU team could be ripe. For and the, I don't think this LSU team is in the stratosphere of Georgia. Like, Definitely like I can't imagine us beating them. No, no, no. They they are they are certainly beatable, but I think Brian Kelly is going to keep the ball rolling on the field. Uh, I, got a, I got a loss there as well. All right, Missouri. On the road against Missouri. A house of horrors for you personally, yeah. I know. You almost always pick Florida to lose here. Missouri, I mean, look at this date. Look, Missouri also surprising talent. Two five-stars, 24-stars. You often think of Missouri as sort of like, I don't know, in between a Kentucky and Vanderbilt, but that's a talented football team. It's late in the semester, cold. You know I'm taking L here. Yeah, I'm taking an L here as well. Look, a lot of people, we talked about this. I thought Missouri was one of my teams that could be a big mover uh-huh. up the SEC East. I think late in the season here, this could be a tough game for Florida. They also play a defensive style that I think can make things hard on Florida. Um, you know, a lot to be seen there, but... We both have L's there. So we've got two losses in a row, kind of mirroring what happened last season. And then we play a home game versus the Florida State team, which a lot of you have heard a lot about Florida State in the past. It might surprise you to know Florida State has one five-star and 26 four-stars. Florida is a more talented team than Florida State, Missouri, Arkansas. They also have a, this is tough, you know, because they also have a guy like Jared Verse who's probably not yeah. he's not in these numbers. He's no. going to be a first-round pick. And that's what we're trying to say, right? That's a little key. But again, if you're just taking talent level, Florida has talent on the roster, but talent's not production, to your point, right. Alan. Florida State, further ahead in the curve of their team development with Mike Norvell. More productive, proven players. But it's not like Florida's rolling out guys that aren't as quick or as athletic right. as these guys. So what do you got for the home game against Florida State? Man, this is the game, if I'm going to circle, that I want the most. Right? And this is partly because I hate FSU more than anything. But with Georgia out of reach, you know, Tennessee at the beginning of the year, that's a big test. And the way this is, you know, you're kind of doing the math on here, depending on what happens in the Utah game, where we're talking about a make or break season for us. Do we pick up this seventh win? Potentially. Do you have a chance to really cap off like an awesome season? Are you are you trying to get to six wins? We need this. Again, Florida almost, I would say, probably should have beaten this Florida State team last year if they could just tackle Jordan Travis in the backfield a couple times. And this is the team that's riding so much hype and momentum. I'm not fully buying it yet. This is at home. Again, I, I'm hoping Florida's in position that they're ranked or just outside of it and they're dangerous and they pick up a win here. Yeah, I'm going to go win here as well. I am also not a believer in Florida State. I think if, if Florida has Coach Ham last year, I think they win this game. I just do not see the same issues that drove me mad last year with no gap control no rush gap control 
completely undisciplined rushing lanes versus rushing quarterbacks. Right. I think that's going to stop. And if that alone stops, I think Florida State's still very one-dimensional in their passing game. Uh, I think they've got talent. dudes. They have dudes, but one-dimensional. And I'm just not a believer. Jordan Travis, I'm, I'm not. I'm not a believer. He's a run-first, scramble-around, sandlot-type player. Uh, and Florida State's cagey, and they're solid. But again, on film, I think they're still a they're still a helter skelter team that's riding high on playing in a very inferior ACC conference, in my opinion. And perhaps I'm just selling them short because I hate Florida State, but I don't think so. I think this is a winnable game, Alan. It's been a winnable game every year uh, when Florida hasn't won it in recent times. Both these teams have flaws, but we're both on a win there, which means we both predicted seven wins. All so those far. up correctly. We have a win versus McNeese State, Charlotte, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Arkansas, and Florida State. Right. So that's seven wins to four losses with the Utah game looming. Right. What are your thoughts now looking at your wins? Yeah, I mean, I think you might infer what I'm thinking about for that Utah game. Or some of these I'm just trying to get to a number, and a lot of these are coin flips, right? So, you know, I might want to... If I think about a Utah pick, I might change another pick. This is about where I think we're going to be, though. Seven and five or six and six. Yeah, and it feels like you could trade, like we talked about. You could trade a lot of these wins for other ones. I mm-hmm. think college football has so much to do with momentum. True. That's what we talked about. This The Florida State win would be a great win. If you go lost Georgia, win Arkansas, lost LSU, lost Missouri, that's three of your last four. Things feel really bad. They feel bad. Right? But if you beat Florida State, then all in all, you reach a number that's solid regardless of whether Utah's a win or loss. I think people will take that kind of season. If you can beat your rival at the end at home, if you can lose closely to LSU, Missouri would, Missouri is always a frustrating loss, understandable with where we are. But if you lose that Florida State game, and this is what we're talking about, these small moments, the season can change significantly. Well, if you, Especially given yeah. how you lose. And that's why we talk about style. What this is, was what does last it year. Like? This Correct. is last year. You, this I, was I was looking year. at the schedule. You go, you beat... <laughs> You know, a struggling but talented A&M team. You beat them pretty handily. You kind of pull away at the end. You beat the breaks off South Carolina. And then you drop the Vanderbilt and Florida State game. And all of a sudden, you're in like a free fall. You get wiped out in the bowl game. Again, if you win those two games, it doesn't matter what happens in the bowl game. Probably people don't care. But you finish 8-4, and 8-5 and five with a loss. You're, I think our outlook on the rest of the season – is different. I don't know if that changes materially what we would do in the games, but you're probably looking at an over-under line of like six and a half. But because Florida showed they're capable of losing to a team like Vanderbilt, you have to bake that into the over-under. It is, and I think this was important. What you just said is so important. We talked about this last year. This is a rebuilding project. The end of last year was really painful. It wasn't so painful for me because Florida took losses. It was painful with how the team didn't seem to really improve Uh at the level we wanted them to improve at, especially on defense. And the reason those losses don't matter that much is what you just said. If we had won those two games with the same style that we had played with, we just snuck out wins, it would not have affected this season at all. I mean, maybe one game for a Vegas win total, right? Really? But you're still playing a lot of coin flippy games. The goal for Napier here is to build a program where the margin for error is significant. And we look at this schedule like George looks at their schedule. And we say win, win, right. win for sure, win, win, win for sure, win. Okay, I've got three games that are going to be tricky. Not nine games that are going to be tricky. Uh, but all that being said, as frustrating as those two losses were last year, they, they really didn't affect this year. They really didn't. Recruiting, 
through the roof, right? Uh-huh. Like we're here, but this season is now we're more to the balance point. We're more to the show me who you are. Year two is more data. What kind of coach are you on the field? And if the style stays the same and we drop some of these end of season games again, it is going to be bad. So if you go five and seven and your recruiting dips, all of a sudden there's alarm bells going off. And you really just, again, look at the schedule. To me, Alan, you cannot go five and seven. So the main reason I wanted to put the talent in here was not that Florida should win 10 games or that you just, like you mentioned, you don't just beat teams because you have more star rated players. That's not the point. But it's hard to find a, I think, a narrative where Florida wins five games that doesn't involve like catastrophic injuries. There's too many teams that also have the question marks Florida have. And unless they all stay perfectly healthy, Florida should be able to win enough of those 50-50s that they get at least a six wins. At least a six wins, right? Five wins feels so bad to me to not make that over-under and the Vegas line feels like a really bad year barring some crazy stuff happening given what we just looked at. Right. And I think it really does come down. I mean, if Graham Mertz goes down in week one, all bets are off. You're, you're probably struggling to get to five. You could be. That's a, that's a reality, right? You're having to really dig. If you're playing Michael Leon yeah. at quarterback. And that's, that, look, that's a real possibility. Yeah. That's what we're trying to say here about every year. We reference our buddy JT Raymond, who only sees the upside, who only sees the positive. No one ever gets injured. It's like mad mode injuries off your, your best possible starting 22. That's not how it's going to work. Right. And I would say, you know, other teams you're talking about, well, no one wants to lose their starting quarterback. And again, like if you're USC and you lose Caleb Williams, of course you're going to take a big dip. But hopefully you'd have a quarterback room that has someone who, you know, lowers your top end, but maybe doesn't sink you to the floor. You'd like to have a guy if you're like, oh, we're going to win nine games with this guy. Oh, we'd maybe get to six or seven with the next guy. Not we go from nine to two or three. You know, so that's where that feels like where Florida is at. And that might not be true, but that's at least how it looks right now. It does. And that's the bummer with Jack Miller. I think that's what we're saying, right? Yeah. Jack Miller's been in the program for a while now as a four-star guy. The fact that there seems to be so little faith in the program amongst his talents and skill level, even Billy himself, you can read between the lines with his comments, doesn't seem like there's a lot of faith with what he can do. And that's what hurts is he should have been a guy where the difference between him and Mertz is potentially almost nothing. Yeah, exactly. And it's not, and that could affect this football team. So we need, again, we're going to need good quarterback play, but we also just need a healthy Mertz because even as Mertz, with all of his flaws, right, he is still a capable starter. Even if you hate the guy, he's still a capable starter. He's played a lot of games of big-time football. He's he's fine. You can win games. But to go to anyone else on this roster becomes a total unknown. It's not a total unknown like AR, who's been flashing like crazy. Uh, it's not a total unknown like Kyle Trask, who if you watched practice, you saw Kyle Trask had legit talent, right? It's not that situation. So lots of question marks. I think that's why I'm so excited for this season. I mm-hmm. love learning about what I think a coaching staff and team is going to be like in the future. It helps me set my expectations for where I think we're going to go. I think this season is going to tell us a lot about the staff, the style, and the future of Florida football. And for that reason, I'm amped. Even if we're looking at these what would be historically really disappointing win totals for Florida? Seven and four. Yeah, seven. I think talking about a seven and five successful season at Florida feels like blasphemous, but that's the reality with this schedule and with this current rebuild. Again, if the schedule was significantly easily significantly easier, you probably would say eight or nine would be the benchmark. But there's 
I think the rising tide here has lifted a lot of ships. There's there's not a lot of gimmies. Like normally, if you have a certain level talent level at Florida, and Missouri is low, and Kentucky is low, and Vanderbilt is low, like or Tennessee's been bad, you just chalk up a lot more wins, you know, without even trying. It's just not where we're at right now. It's not where we're at. Is exactly right. So things are going to be tricky. The way the schedule falls, yeah. things are going to be extra tricky. And, and one last time, we talked about this a lot on our podcast two episodes ago, but. The end of this schedule without a break, Alan, Mm -hmm. without a break. Keep that in mind. College football, Georgia and Jacksonville, Arkansas at home, on the road at LSU, on the road at Missouri, home versus Florida State. Yeah, Florida has to bank wins in the top half. That's why I end up giving them wins, you know, with that Kentucky win, that South Carolina win. Because it does not get easier. That's five wins in. That's five games in a row. Number one overall, Georgia, LSU, top ten, Florida State, presumably top ten right now. They could fall out, and then Arkansas, Missouri, teams that can make noise in a row. That is hard for any college football team, especially one that has the holes that Florida may have. So keep that in mind. I think that's why that's really going to determine Florida's season. If Florida takes a lot of L's early on, Allen, things could get ugly because yeah. of that gauntlet they have to run. So there will be a lot to watch for. All right, let's wrap this baby up with some other items before we go. We have a week zero slate. That's right. We have our first picks of the season, Allen. Let us know who's playing before Florida takes on Utah. All right, starts with a, another weird one. Like last year, Navy versus number 13, Notre Dame in Ireland. Notre Dame favored by 20 and a half. I was just... In Annapolis, touring the campus 10 days ago, having a good time out there. Caught some O's games, went over there. Beautiful place. Uh, I don't think Navy's up to the task in this one. 20 and a half is a lot of points, though, for a season opener. So I'm going to take uh, I'm gonna take Navy getting under the points in that one, though. Give me the Fighting Irish in Ireland. I like it. All right, next, UMass at our old friends, New Mexico State. New Mexico State favored by eight. Man, it's great to see New Mexico State favorite in a football yeah. game. Really making moves. Uh, I don't think they're ready for that that kind of burden. So I'm going to take UMass. <laughs> nah, give me New Mexico State. Come on, man. What I also got? love picking totally blind. This is like a great <laughs> thing, by the way. All right. Ohio at San Diego State. San Diego State only favored by three and a half. This is a, this is a pretty good opener game. Two programs that have good history. Uh, and then obviously San Diego State. Flirting with the Pac-12. I mean, right? I was going to say, potentially getting a big upgrade. Maybe they need to win this game to tell the Pac-12 authorities they're worth it. I'm going to take uh, I'm going to take San Diego State here. I'll join you there. All right, FIU at Louisiana Tech. Louisiana Tech favored by 10. 10 points is dangerous. That's dangerous, but I'm going to take them. Louisiana I'll go. Tech. I'll just opposite you here. I'll go FIU. I like that. Hawaii at, again, the best team in the nation, Vanderbilt. Vanderbilt favored by a very healthy 16 and a half. Vanderbilt hammered Hawaii last year. One of the yeah. roads smoked them. Now they're at home. I'm taking Vanderbilt. Yeah. Commodores. Let's go. San Jose State. Lamb to the slaughter here at number six USC. who's favored by 30. Opener games are generally more important for offensive coaches to beat the spread. If this is midseason, maybe you wonder. But I think that you come out, you're so hyped up. You're Lincoln Riley. You want a big dubs. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take that 30-point spread and take USC. I think I'll join you there, too. I, I think USC wants to come out and put on a show here. I love it. Football is back. We have not mentioned a couple of things. I want to start first in the NFL very quickly. One, I want to celebrate the reality that I think Florida, I think, is going to have two starting quarterbacks in the league this year in week one. Kyle Trask of the Bucks. It's not over yet. 
I think he's going to get. Is he going to win the job? I think. I'm hoping. But okay. I think. I think. I don't have any information on that. And then Anthony Richardson has already been named for the Colts. That's a moment. First of all, that's awesome. Second of all, everyone knows how much I love Kyle Trask, and I hope he wins this battle with Same. With, with Baker. I think even if he doesn't, I think he'll be on the field at some point. Baker's not going to hold the job down, but that's a big moment. Uh, that's a huge moment. A lot of you have asked us questions about Baker versus Trask and the battle that ensues there. I think Trask has always been a guy that when you put him on the field, when it matters, he has played his best. And if I'm the Bucks, and it's even close, I've already seen what Baker has done on the field for a long time. You owe it to yourself to see if Trask has the same magic he's had everywhere he's been. You drafted him in the second round. When you he plays a there. real game. So I think it's going to be a major fail by their staff. They don't roll the dice. Say, you know what? I don't care if they're equal. In pro- I don't even care if Baker's 5% better. This dude has been a gamer when you give even him a shot. Even if he's 20% better. Give him a shot. Give yeah. him a shot when the game's in the line. Make him prove he can't do it in the NFL. Uh, and then for the AR storyline, I, I, it's been weird to me to see a lot of Gator fans seemingly also kind of maybe perhaps like go on places and post about how AR is not going to get, almost like rooting against him in a weird well, way. Well, I think this is, is what you said at the beginning. Perhaps you can If he's successful, it's a black mark against your program, which is in turn a black mark against you. I guess. It just seems weird. It's The whole AR thing is weird to me. It's you know, The guy was a young guy. He had his 14th start ever as a quarterback, you know, um, post high school in his first preseason Yeah, I'm game. pulling for him for sure. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's weird. The guy's not the nicest guy. Signing autographs stays there. I, I, don't get, I don't get it. I mean, to me, it's like we should all be pulling for him. It's not really an indictment necessarily on Napier. I think he's going to look back on it. And if he was a more creative offensive guy, and we said this last year, he would have drawn up different stuff. I just think he's a system guy and whatever. So that's one thing. Secondly, black jerseys. <laughs> these have been talked about a lot for years. Some people for They're decades. Forever have wanted these. Your thoughts on Florida's black football uh, jerseys? I've never been someone clamoring for them. I love alternates, but not black for Florida. One, because we have orange in our core colors, and I don't want to be Team Halloween. I will say they weren't terrible. They weren't as bad as they could be. But also, I'm still a little like, eh, it might be cool, but I'm I'm not a huge fan. Yeah, my favorite jersey still of all, we rarely ever wear, which are the, <laughs> the blue tops, orange bottoms of the old, you know, Florida, Florida State 90s, Florida Gators and whatnot. Those are my favorites, hardly worn. I like black jerseys in sports. I love wearing the shade of black in general. I think it's a good look. I think it looks solid for Florida. I think the trick now is we're so late to the party. Right. We already use these in basketball. I think they look fine. I think they look good. I like the black jerseys. I don't think they're like next level swag up factor. I mean, I'll I just think say I love the throwbacks game, a lot more. Okay. See, I don't like our throwbacks. That's funny. Them. I know. I, I get that. I don't like I don't like the white helmet and the kind of sixties looking I don't know. It's fine. But I I'll tell you this. I'm really happy they chose to do the black Florida jersey that looks just like the regular Florida jersey. I wouldn't have wanted to have seen them start doing crazy, weird, gimmicky crap. Like the helmet's got some funky stuff on it. Like the Maryland Like what Maryland has done. And again, I'm from Maryland. I love the state of Maryland. But I, I like that when you look at it, it's instantly the Gators, like you mentioned, Alan. And as a one-off thing, I like their pairing with the veterans kind of thing. Sure. I, mean, I think they're doing it the right way. I think for a night game, it'll be fun. People get hyped about it. Ultimately, though, jerseys do not lead to wins or losses. Uh, I definitely believe that. So that's out there. Love it, hate it. It's there. Just a quick comment, because we got a lot of questions on this too. Obviously, Dan Mullen had a piece on a podcast, and our comment is we really don't have a comment. We covered Dan Mullen in depth. Check it out if you haven't. You can hear his thoughts on his time at Florida and what he's up to now. Something we are really excited about, however, is the Swamp Kings 
documentary. Yeah, I was a little worried this was going to be a total hit piece, but the fact that Urban is participating in this level makes me think it's not a total, like, just attack job. Hopefully. We'll see. Yeah, I've heard. It seems like the early returns are that it's not, and it's going to chronicle rather fairly the reality of coaching <sighs> major college football with both a, a saint, so to speak, and Tim Tebow and maybe sinners and, and others. But uh, should be should be appointment TV, I think, for Florida fans. And then lastly, and this should make him feel good, Daytona Steve is, is back. He's reinvigorated this year. He's got a new plan. Uh, hard year last year. We disappeared for a while, but he's back. He informed me in the offseason he'll be back. And he'll be back next week with his first pick of the season. So a lot of good stuff on tap, whether it's the NFL or college football or whatever you're into, fantasy football drafts, it's all right here in front of you, including this podcast, which now beginning with this episode will be back every single Monday all throughout the season, all the way into late December, early January. We will be with you, breaking down all of the action. We've missed you in the offseason. Thank you for sticking with us through the off times. But it is go time now, Alan. And we will see all of you next Monday for our season primer to get you ready for the Florida-Utah game, which should be fascinating because the news of one Cam Rising's playing ability may dictate our very own picks here. So stay tuned for that. It's great to be back with you. We look forward to seeing you next time.